Blog Talk Radio. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Like 
Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Some know it's shocked when they first hear the news. Press play and then rewind and review. But the message is clear and it cuts just like the knife. You don't surrender, they take your life. And I remember some movies my mama used to show me. What's your name? Remember the times when they bought and they sold us. We are That's what I told you.
who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. This is the 11th day of June, 2023. And our theme today is the play on Africa and African people. That's right. We're going to talk about the play on Africa and African people. We invite you to join us. You can do this by calling in at 323-679-0841. But like always, we're in the seat and we're going to take the heat. Because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. At this point in time, we will continue to travel down the road of liberation, start the program out by introducing you to our political analysts and panelists for today's program. First, we'll start off with Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Can you hear me, Brother Haki? While we wait for Brother Haki, let's see. That's next we will go to. We're going to go to Brother Moses and hello, to bring Brother Moses. Are you there, Brother Haki? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, we can. All right, good. Thank you. All right. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki. Uh, currently, I'm with African Awareness. And, of course, Brother Africa, you know, my thing is all about institution building. But certainly, in the context of institution building, I think certain um, – Certain ideas have to be prescribed in terms of understanding precisely what it is we have to do in terms of, you know, uh, winning this war. And when I say war, I literally mean a war. And one of the things that's very interesting about the society is that there's a constant class and, culture and or cultural war being waged against the masses of people. While the masses of people are distracted, you know, by these claims of war, uh, the wealthy people are essentially ripping off the society, impoverishing the society, then turn around and blame poor people for the problems of their society. So what I wanted to do briefly, Brother Africa, is talk a little bit about in terms of some of the shenanigans behind the scenes in terms of propensity, in terms of waging cultural and or class wars against the people in American society. Now, the class war against poor people, and this includes middle-income people, is self-evident, but nowhere is that clearer than the war of economics inflicted on working people. This war is best exemplified by Republican policies with the assistance of some Democrats that secretly enact policy that not only increases the class divide, but contributes to economic decline and soaring deficits. 
These conscious policies, albeit denied by conservative Republicans, consistently benefits the wealthy and their corporate overlords. Such policies championed by former President Bush and the orange menace, Donald Trump, set the precedent for the continuation of budget deficits while managing to increase the federal deficit by nearly $8 trillion. Now, federal deficits or debt is projected by the Congressional Budget Office to continue to rise. This phenomenon is exacerbated by the fact the U.S. inability to increase revenues have been constrained by conservative policy that systematically prevented government from pursuing revenues from wealthy individuals and corporations that employ, an, that employ accounting schemes using accountants and lawyers to conceal money lawfully due in taxes. This criminality is pervasive. Estimations reveal 30% of taxes yearly owed <laughs> by, the right, by the rich and the corporations are never collected by government. As a result, loss of revenues account for over $428 billion last year and projected to rise this year in year 2023. Revenues laws to government account for a third of the federal deficit. The fact Bush Trump tax cuts accounted for 57% of the current deficit of $7 trillion, the political inclination should be to innovate policy or policies to enhance the ability of government to collect revenues. But Republicans-inspired legislation is doing the exact opposite. Republican legislation seeks to increase, in some instances, block government from having access to taxes owed by the wealthiest individuals and corporations in society. Problematic to say the least, but with national debt unofficially hovering around $37 trillion, this, the will to address the issue should be primary, but it is not. Now, Republicans recently proposed tax cuts for wealthy and corporations immediately following a resolution to raising the debt limit. The, the party of fiscal responsibility consistently advocates tax cuts for the wealthy despite historical evidence such cuts contribute to budget deficits. Currently, proposed cuts are no different. The Congressional Budget Office, a CBO, estimates tax cuts for the wealthy will add trillions to the federal deficit. Republicans counted such tax cuts will be good for the economy, but such claims never reveal the economic benefits of tax cuts for the wealthy. Under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, TCJA, government access to revenues will be constrained both on the spending and revenue side. Under the TCJA Act, tax cuts must be balanced by revenues. If government is denied access to revenues from the wealthy and a corporation, any tax cuts afforded the wealthy will neg negatively impact the economy. Money needed to flow through the economy to increase the amount of money in circulation for investments, job creation, or social services would be impaired with the predictable result of budget deficits. Now, based upon earlier projections of tax cuts for the wealthy, spending as a percentage of GDP decline, and with that decline in spending comes a decline in revenues. In other words, tax cuts for the wealthy does not result in economic gains for the economy. Economically speaking, it is more advantageous to increase social spending, like public assistance, unemployment, et cetera, because it's a cumulative effect of increasing the level of money in circulation as a result of consumerism. Unlike the wealthy who acquire assets like stocks, bonds, land, and property when not hiding their wealth, money does not find its way to the real economy. And the Center for American Progress, CAP, and, and, uh, and, 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 and analysis detailing the sordid history of tax cuts for the wealthy paints a cautionary tale of understanding the nuance of economic policy. Republicans will have people think money from working and poor people and giving it to the wealthy as tax cuts is good for the economy. Under TCJA Act, 5% of top-wage earners will receive 60% of the benefits from the Republicans' tax plan. However, it, is not, it, will, excuse me, it will also account for over $2.5 trillion def deficit in less than 10 years. 
While the poor in social services are depicted as a problem for budgetary deficits, had tax cuts for the wealthy not been enacted, according to the CAP, since 2001, revenues would be on track relative spending. In other words, what the government takes in would be close to what it spends. I'm likely to hear similar analysis on mainstream, by, on mainstream media, but public indifference to all things economic continues. The level of stealth and cunning has elevated, but the suit of interest, self-interest has magnified considerably as well. Wealthy tax cuts are due to expire in 2025 are now slated to remain permanently. As a consequence, this policy will cost the U.S. economy $300 billion in the first year alone. This policy will be augmented by additional tax plans that will contribute to government's economic woes. Among those plans are the full bonus depreciation plan, which will remove caps on business deductions on business assets. Assets are loosely defined, where assets are defined in a way non-business-related items are included in what constitutes an asset. Items like furniture, vehicles, paint, computer, software, uh, used equipment will be included. What used to be business-related expense where you're expected to use your own profits to purchase is now subsidized by the U.S. government. Apparently, socialism is not as bad, that bad after all. When all is said and done, Congressperson Ihan Omar is correct when she stated, it's all about the transfer of wealth by taking away food and health care for the poor. Her revelation is even more poignant considering the level of homelessness that ensued after the ending of government support after the COVID-19 pandemic. Homelessness, without a doubt, will be the catalyst for ills affecting all aspects of society. Education, which is essential in the 21st century, has been undermined by funding cuts to accommodate the wealthy. Cuts projected to impact 26 million school-aged children, of which 7.5 million with disabilities, such cuts does not bode well for society. The social upheaval that will be unleashed is, regret, is regrettable but predictable. Inability of politicians to respond to this growing sense of alienation is potentially catastrophic, but since we live under capitalism, catastrophe is the norm, not the exception. With that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. And I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-S. Pro, I don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. The, the struggle continues to be to unite the many, defeat the few. We're faced with Trump being indicted for it. And um, the question is whether there's going to be true democracy and real justice in the society and that. And we have to struggle for it to make it happen. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we go to Sister Eleanor. We'd like to welcome her to Africa on the move. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening. Good evening, Brother Africa, and to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. 
My name is Eleanor Johnson. I'm an environmentalist, an educator, and an artist. Right now, the greatest concern we have is our concern for the planet. We saw the impact of the fires in um, Canada this week on the eastern seaboard from Canada all the way down to the Caribbean. So it's up to us, each and every one of us, to think about how we live and to be environmentalists and realize we play a role in saving Mother Earth for the future people, for your children, your grandchildren. It's our job right now. And we see the impact that the uh, global warming is having on the global south as well as Africa, who did not contribute to this outrageous uh, warming of our planet. But thank you for allowing me to participate in this evening's show, and I look forward to an exciting and educational show. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And for Sister Eleanor, we'll make our transition to Brother Maurice. What happened to Africa on the move? Thank, thank you, Brother Africa, and 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 it's good to um to be in y'all um, presence again and to hear everybody's voice. I just want to send a, a a big shout out to Brother Anthony uh, with some speedy recoveries. I hope he's um recovering well. And uh, again, my name is Brother Maurice, also known by by the by panelists as Brother Sabukwe, and I try to live up to that powerful name on a daily basis as a uh, an organizer for the PRHP, Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, as a, as a supporter of the All-African People Revolutionary Party, D.C., and also as a as, as a worker um, for the people, period. Um, thank you so much again for having me here tonight. Pan-Africanism, or we're going to continue to perish. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Maurice, and to our listening audience, what we're going to do right now, we take a quick station break to so go down the road of liberation as we use culture as a tool. And when we come back, we want you to come in and join us as we translate or transfer to our section what's going on in your world and the community. Just come and join us by calling in at 323-679-0841. We want to know what's going on in your community and your world when we when we return, this is Africa on the Move. I'll be home 
But the time goes slowly 225 ice cold showers Hurricane hit my cell and get no power Trying to walk a narrow straight path It's a battle Kind of hard to walk when you're chained in shackles Africa 
side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dress like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. We would like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. As the host of Africa, we're going to speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We offer you the opportunity to join us during this segment as we talk about what's going on in our world. In your community, and we'll start off right now by bringing Brother Haki, and we raise the question: What's going on in your world, in your community, Brother Haki? Uh, well, well, Brother Africa, you know me. I have to, I have to inject some reality in terms of what's going on in the society. Uh, one of the things is very, very clear: uh, capitalism and homelessness is synonymous. And the question is, why are the two correlated? And I think. Uh, you know, in providing a little bit of information, I think it becomes clear in terms of the word systemic problems in terms of homelessness and why, as it, as, according to the current mode of operation, specifically as, 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 specifically as the, the way the system operates, the bottom line is that homelessness can only increase, it will never decrease. And that's unfortunate, but nonetheless, I think uh, after reading this, I think it provides some clarity in terms of really so many uh, behind the scenes factors that contribute to homelessness, and particularly. Uh, uh, capitalism in terms of the propensity, you know, uh, you know, to uh, discard people when they don't need them. In any event, check this out, Brother Africa. Now, stories abound testifying to the difficulty for families trying to secure affordable places to live and the dehumanization endured living in vehicles and, in the, and the daily challenges of feeding and educating their children. Often, repetitive narrative is advanced, blaming the victims for, the, for their dilemma, but no, but not so much as a hint of kind of capitalistic structures that advances and promotes homelessness as a means to increase wealth among the wealthy. Homelessness has a long and sordid history in the U.S., and without some exploration as to pervasiveness of homelessness it, and its systematic needs, understanding the phenomenon of homelessness in the land of the free may be perplexing. Now, it must be pointed out, homelessness in the U.S. has been consistent feature with the establishment of the union. During the Great Depression, FDR's New Deal attempted to address homelessness by creating public works projects, stimulating employment opportunities, and housing construction outside the city squalor, making new homes accessible, providing low-interest loans primarily to whites in the, in the inner city and excluding Africans and Appalachian poor whites. The discriminatory impact of this policy resulting from compromise with wealthy interests resulted in deliberate policy choices opposed to the total elimination of homelessness. This guiding philosophy of opposing an end to homelessness will continue throughout U.S. history and persist to this day, despite government's attempt at intervention. In September 1965, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, was created specifically to empower government 
to address housing issues in urban or African areas, to address substandard housing and the lack of investments in urban centers toward housing. By 1970, the Urban, the urban Development Act was initiated with the express intent to guarantee government finances to create incentives among private and public developers to construct housing both affordable and at market-driven rates. Government would establish an array of funding sources. Sources would include guaranteed loans, debentures, in addition to other types of grants and loans below the market rate. Despite the availability of finances to produce housing in urban areas, ensuring profits for, for the developers, the same resistance to ending homelessness in 1930 manifested again in the 1970s. In stark opposition to ending homelessness in America, developers, real estate interests, and bankers balked at endorsing plans to end homelessness, particularly among African people. Taking advantage of easy money and moniker for the capitalists, most resist most temptation to take advantage of government funds. Other developers laid the implementation of the plan, resulting in sparse construction of needed housing, awaiting, awaiting political legislation that reflected their interest of not building housing in urban areas. Attempts at organizing to overturn HUD's mandates did not take long. A little over 12 years later, special interests were, at, were able, able to impart to HUD the error of his way. Lambasting HUD for its anti-capitalist policies, special interests proceeded with litigation to end the construction of affordable housing in urban areas. Under the case Thompson v. Hood, HUD, in 1995, plaintiffs argued the Fair Housing Act of 1968 was being violated by constructing housing in urban communities uh, that contributed to segregation and, as such, violated equal protections under the law. The interesting aspect of this case was Baltimore officials used use of public housing residents, mostly African people, as co-plaintiffs to essentially end the construction of barely needed housing in urban centers. Twelve years later, all hoods mandates to provide affordable housing in African units for all intents and purposes were gravely weakened. Weakened not just because urban areas would suffer from lack of affordable housing, but any possibility of expanding the mandate. Reality is and was affordable housing outside the geographical reach of cities have been vehemently opposed by suburbanites who consistently frame the poor as undesirables. For example, one famous celebrity entertainer, Dave Chappelle, railed against public housing in his his Ohio community, stating it would bring too much congestion and traffic to his small town. At least he did not resort to archetypes that define the poor in the most cruel ways imaginable. Currently, the housing crisis has been exacerbated by unfettered capitalism totally void of any moral barometer. Complexity of strategy to avoid addressing the housing crisis goes on unabated. Employing misdirection to deceive the citizenry concerns over housing affordability being legitimate, the Biden, the Biden White House released plans to address homelessness. Among the plans is to introduce affordable housing in wealthy neighborhoods and increase, and increase in vouchers for affordable housing that does not exist. Pushback from wealthy communities is expected, but zoning laws set up specifically to keep poor people out will have to be contested by government and court. And with capitalism in decline, such expenditures are not, li- are not likely to be used to contest wealthy communities with large war chests. Now, finances does, does play a big part in, take, in government taking on these challenges. The scale and scope of the housing crisis is extensive. Currently, it is estimated there is a shortage of at least 7 million units for low-income renters. Stated differently, for every 37 affordable rental units, there are 100 low-income families seeking a place to live. This statistic reality is confounded by the capitalist marketplace that values profit over human life. BlackRock, the hedge, the hedge fund organization, 
has invested in over 3,000 rental properties. Of these 3,000 investments, BlackRock owns 80,000 of these properties. Not to be outdone, Blackstone, the private equity firm, owns 113,000 rental properties. Putting this information into context, of the 50 million rental properties in the U.S., 59% of these properties are owned by institutional investors. BlackRock and Blackstone are merely two of the largest. Now, when considering market power or the ability of wealth to control society, which is sanctioned by capitalism, the ability to end homelessness becomes all the more difficult. By virtue of institutional investors' economic relationships, the ability to ensure rents do not increase far beyond the 30% of one's salary is no longer a reality. For capitalism, more indignation has no relevance. Different to the systemic pain and hardship imposed on the, po- on the population, capitalism excesses grows. With the growth, government becomes increasingly irrelevant. How capitalism inflicts cruelty on the poor is a matter of speculation, and how the methodology employed to dispense injustice is unknown. But what we do know, without a doubt, the pain inflicted on the homeless will not decrease. It will actually increase. And with it, establishing a precedent of mass suffering and death, all the while stimulating more homelessness. And so we have to fundamentally understand the reality of homelessness, homelessness brother Africa. We can ill afford at this point in history to pretend like homelessness is, is a result of people's uh, inadequacy in terms of their ability, in terms of competing in the job market. All that is ludicrous and insane, but it's clearly there are many, many people who believe that. And so we have to refute such nonsense and really understand the systematic problem affiliated uh, uh, with homelessness, particularly as we talk about the homelessness and relationship to capitalism. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, it's been an interesting week. Um, I think, you know, that recent Supreme Court decision uh, basically upholding partial of the Voting Rights Act and um, saying that it was legal to to um, draw boundaries that included, that made it possible for there to be two two representatives of, of the black community in in Congress, uh, as opposed to the gerrymandering that the GOP was trying to do to the map. Uh, also, Trump was indicted uh, and uh, he's supposed to be in, in court Tuesday in Florida. And so this is a, a good thing. Uh, hopefully, we can preserve some kind of democratic system here. Um, if we if we don't allow the political economy to deteriorate under his under his uh, ideological propaganda about he's being persecuted for as because uh, he's a political opponent of Biden and he's trying to get rid of his opposition that he's trying to push that line. Uh, those two things were critical this week. Uh, uh, the struggle continues. Uh, we still face with, with the great Satan, as Iran calls us, calls the U.S. and uh, and you know we we still looking at Israel running rampant, uh, the U.S. dog in the in the Middle East is unleashed on the Palestinian people, and um, the greatest purveyor of violence on the face of the earth is still the greatest purveyor of violence on the face of the earth. And so, you know, the struggle continues. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And for Brother Moses, we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? 
Uh, it's been a very, very busy week. I'm speaking to you this evening from Sibley Memor- Memorial Hospital. But the uh, reality is um, something very interesting came up this evening. And it was uh, on the, um, not this evening, but this week, it was on the issue of minimum wage. In South Korea, the minimum wage is $8 per hour. And the cost of living is phenomenally lower than it is in the United States, where the minimum wage has not reached $8 an hour. And uh, I was speaking to a young woman named So Young from Korea, and uh, she was complaining about how uh, the minimum wage in South Korea, the national minimum wage, was only $8. And in a country like the United States, people get paid livable wages like $20 an hour. And I was telling her, where exactly was that? because that does not meet the U.S. minimum wage. That's not the U.S. minimum wage. And perhaps Brother Haki would actually um, let all of us know what that minimum wage is. I believe it's $7 and uh, some cents an hour, uh, maybe seven twenty-five. I may be wrong. I honestly do not know. And in terms of homelessness and the housing crisis, this whole concept of giving people these vouchers, they're not giving people vouchers. What they are are a subsidy to um, landowners and developers. And what the people need, what the working class needs, because who is it that are using the vouchers? It's the persons that work in the grocery store in your local um, grocery store. Now, if you were perhaps white family household when the city was being redlined against blacks, when Washington, D.C. was redlining blacks out, you could actually work in a Trader Joe's or a Whole Foods or a Harris Teeter and be a homeowner. However, if you're a 25-year-old or 50-year-old African woman, you are more than likely renting a room because you did not have the information or the resources to purchase a home. I think it's important that people that receive vouchers um, figure out how with their their landlords they can purchase the properties they live in rather than rent them. And perhaps they have to have people. Now, this would require progressive people, not the lumpers, where one person actually goes forward for the mortgage and the others sign what everyone signs, a month-to-month lease that would give them the demonstrated resources to utilize their voucher to purchase a home. So uh, this is a critical time 
where people need to be organized and educated to utilize the resources in the community so that we are just not blindly subsidizing landlords while undermining the quality of life for all persons in the United States, but particularly for African Americans. It is a shame to see African Americans born and raised in this city living in, in with less resources, less access to uh, decent, clean housing than our brothers and sisters that have just arrived from El Salvador, you know, this generation, or arriving daily from Honduras. Now, this, this, there's something really wrong with this picture, whereas these people are able to acquire ID through the district government, that's the District of Columbia, um, health care services, and vouchers to support child care. That's important. We're not complaining that these people receive these resources. We're just concerned that the people that haven't moved anywhere, as in slavery days, a slave was more than likely not able to go more than a mile from their home. And there are people now still working to enslave African Americans limiting their mobility, making sure they don't get a ride anywhere or a drive anywhere so that they can live a lifetime and not know what what Southeast looks like or not know what Northwest looks like or the communities in it. So, you know, we're at a critical time. And the consumer price index this year uh, was 6.8%. That is the poor are paying for the debt of the nation. And in the District of Columbia, there is a, a, a loophole in the rental housing law that the housing provider can charge the CPI plus 2%, not to exceed 10%. So people in the district are facing, unfortunately, an 8.8% increase in their rental housing costs. Mayor Bowser supported it. Therefore, Joe, President Joe Biden supported it, and so did the Congress. This is this is outrageous. With the other thing important to note is that with the telecommuting that we learned to do during the pandemic, there are tens of buildings vacant in downtown Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. Those buildings are going to be redeveloped as housing and the developers can receive up to a billion dollars in support. But there is no criteria for any of those units to be, quote, affordable. 
And remember, affordable doesn't mean that many people can live in them because affordable might be 50% of the AMI or, 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 or 70% of the AMI. But there are many people who only make 10% of the AMI, maybe even less. So we find ourselves in an incredible crisis that can be eliminated simply by allowing the poor to purchase the units that they are paying for with these vouchers. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We now go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, what's going on in your world and the community? Yes, Brother Africa, as we already know, as working class people, as African people, there's a lot going on in our world. But specifically, I want to um, talk about tonight uh, is basically uh, on Tuesday, uh, June 6, uh, 2023, last week, as we know here in, in Virginia, more specifically in Richmond, uh, we had a, a series of what we call, uh, you know, what is known as or what is being called as youth violence or proximity violence, or what have you want to frame it. Um, an 18-year-old African youth, uh, Sean Jackson, was murdered alongside with his uh, stepfather, Renzo Smith, another African, uh, 36, 36 years old. Three victims, the 19-year-old uh they called, you know, the one that they committed to shoot him, Amari Pollard. He's his life is ruined. He's in that penal system. And I bring this up tonight just to put more emphasis and and, and awareness on we need to bring alongside with you know with with, with things being synonymous, uh, alongside with homelessness and capitalism, you also have this what you like call capitalism and balance period. You balance but balance period. Kids, uh, uh children. Um, capitalism has been murdering our children since uh, George Stenney, Bobby Hutton, uh, um, Denise McNair, uh, Carol Robertson, Cynthia Wesley, and Matil Adabinga of Congo. You know, he died in his, in his 30s, but as a youth, he was exploited and he was violent. You know, he was, it was criminal acts performed on him. If you don't know who about him, do the research. But I say this to say that we, you know, we need to, I hear people are saying, because I work in the education sector, I hear people saying that we need more uh, sport, sports youth programs, we need more nonprofit organizations. We don't need no more of that. I, I, I got a, um, at the age of 19, uh, I organized an out-of-pocket organization, Slain, struggling. At the time, it was called Solution Liberation and New Guidance. And then it, it it went to a or transformed into a um uh, a nonprofit uh, about six years ago and the name changed to struggling living and never giving up. But what I understand is nonprofit is not the answer. It's not going to take funding, guys. Uh, uh, brothers and sisters, it's going to take people power. It's going to take the organization of people. And that leads me to say that we don't the boys and girls clubs. No, that's not the answer. As, you know, these uh, JROTCs, these junior reserve officers, training corps, that is not the answer. That That's the thing that is killing us. 
uh, the JROTC is a United States government program, a United States government military program, the same military to go kill, kill other, other children around the world, whether it's in Vietnam, on the continent, in the Caribbean. They are killing children around the world. Um, but we're not, they don't, of course, you're not going to see, see that on your nightly news or your daily newspaper. And, you know, and another thing is, and I'm, not to be too long-winded, um, we need to put more focus on uh, a, a, a political educational, revolutionary political educational programs like uh, the, the, the Young Pioneer Movement, whether the, the Ghana Young, Young Pioneer Movement. I, 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 I want to do a, a shameless plug for uh, Sister Dorita Drummond and Bowyer's book, Farming and Crumming and the Young Pioneer Movement. It gives a breakdown of the of the young pioneers and what the Kuma did with uh, political educating and organizing youth. Like um, you know the, the 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 three different age groups. He had a personality group, the young pioneers group, and you know Kwame Kuma youth between seventeen and twenty one. We need political education. We need uh, Pan African socialist uh, political education, and we need Pan African revolutionary socialist class struggle, organization. As I'm, you know, that's where we at right now. That's what our, our children need. These boys and girls clubs, well, you know, or, the, or boys and girls scouts, however, this, these these type of organizations were created by colonists, colonialists, um, however you want to frame it. Uh, the, the boys and girls scouts was created by by uh, enemy of uh, named Robert, General Robert Baden Power. What he did, he had his hand in Africa, he had his hand in killing uh, African uh, African people, Zulu, whether they were Ashanti or Zulu people, he killed them. He had his hand in uh, helping colonize Africa. He developed a boys and girls scouts, all for scouting uh, cadets, as he say, to continue the domination and the, um, the domination and 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 keeping capitalism and capitalists and power. So we cannot sit here and, and expect that these organizations. Uh, is going to help our children. Um, that is not going to going to happen. It's going to take political education. Um, and I conclude by saying this: we had our Bush schools, of what we call, uh, you know, um, Poro or sun, Sunday uh, society, secret society uh, for children. Um, boys was 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 recruited in the Poro, and and this was a Pan Africanist uh, Justin. I got to shout out. Um, um, Conrad, uh, Brother Neil, on this one because he shared this history. Um, but you have Sunday uh, uh, society was for the girls to go in there and they and they teach the African girls, uh, you know, across many tribes. It was a it was a um, unit. It was a unifying or unity of of, of of females and girls for all from different tribes, and they go into these into these woods and they learn different dances. That the dances show what what traps you represent. And this was in Guinea, from my understanding, from my research. So this is what this is what they this is what uh uh, uh colonialism interrupted in Africa and we gotta get back. Only only African can raise African children and only revolutionary can revolutionaries can raise revolutionary children. So we need a humanist, egalitarianist system. And that system is scientific socialism. It's not a just a talking points. This is not buzzwords. This is a real thing that can happen. We just need to organize our Africans and working class people. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Brother Maurice. Um, I think earlier, Brother Maurice, and this is to the whole panelists, there was a shooting in Richmond, Virginia. Well, for those who are not familiar with the city of Richmond, Virginia, it's about 100 miles south of the capital of Washington, D.C., in the U.S. There was a shooting um, at a graduation here in Richmond. It happened to be shooting among African people. And as we talk about the theme, the play on Africa and African people, just make a bit of example of it. But I'd like to get each one of y'all responding to this phenomenon. I found it amazing that as the, as the news media was, in, was reporting the event, and there was really very little known in terms of the motivation, who did it, what happened, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That some former officials came and made a brief statement to the press, at least they were consistent in terms of the reality. They were still trying to find out what took place. The only thing that was known was there were at least two suspects who may have been shooting at the crowd that was at this graduation. A couple of people got killed, and about 13 people got wounded. But anyway, I found it really interesting. After the so-called press, official press conference were over, you had the lieutenant governor, which is a African sister. I think she belongs to the Republican Party, but you can correct me on that. She came and did her own press station, her own press presentation solo, and the narrative of her statement was one of blaming the African community, attacking the African community. The first statement that came out of her mouth was that you should not, cannot blame the gun industry. You should not and cannot blame the gun industry. And I was trying to figure out why would that be so important to not attack the RAA for the use for the use of guns in this country and the high level of violence. But she came out to create the scenario not to go down that road. What was that all about? But yet she did create a scenario attacking the African community as a criminal, something wrong with the African community. You know, maybe the law enforcement need to go go into the African community and straighten out. She created a scenario where in which they gave the law enforcement any kind of carte blanche as a result as a result of this situation to do as they please in, in our community. So she revert the whole thing, everything on the African community for this particular one incident. Now I'm asking myself, what is this all about? Why would this sister create the scenario? And what is her interest for protecting RNA? So I'll start right there. Maybe uh, y'all can make some sense of it. I start with you, brother. Haki, what was that all about? The statement, how she responded to this particular um, shooting incident at this graduation in Richmond, Virginia. Well, it's, it's Brother Africa, it's, it's all about politics. Uh, one of the things you, we, we got to understand when you when you raise the question in terms of media media's lack of reporting on the situation, clearly the lack of reporting is a result of a desire, or certainly a focus, which says that 
you know, not providing people with sufficient information is sufficient enough, sufficient to control people's way of thinking. So if people don't know the motivation behind the shooting, they attribute to the shooting to simply a bad, you know, a very, a very uh, evil, a very, uh, a, a very, uh, 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 for lack of a better term, a very undisciplined child, a young man. And in fact, that's in fact responsible for the shooting. So what they do is keep us in a, in a kind of a, um, a a juvenile mindset. So we don't understand the motivation in terms of the shooting, but we well, we are conditioned to believe in the fact that any kind of shooting that occurs is a result of a fundamentally bad in the, a human being. Uh, but that's all by design, because the more information the media provi- uh, conveys in terms of why these kind of shooting events occur, the more it gives people insight in terms of how the system operates and the impact it has on the way people behave and the way people act or the way that people see the world. So you've got to understand that uh, part and part of the media's focus is to make sure it keeps the masses of people ignorant, and it does keep us ignorant in part by denying information to us. So we shouldn't be surprised that uh, they can talk about the fact they got two shooters, you know, in custody, but in terms of motivation, uh, the, the media is simply uh, quiet in terms of motivation. Uh, who knows what the motivation may have been, but certainly I suspect that the motivation is pertinent in terms of understanding what, what drove young man to actually engage in such a horrific act. Uh, but clearly, uh, you know, that's the media's role in terms of keeping us blinded to reality. So we have to understand it fundamentally. When we read newspaper articles, when we read the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Boston Globe, and so forth and so on, then we fundamentally have to understand that the media has a mission in terms of making sure not provide us with information in order to critique, in order to prevent or to cripple our ability to actually think. So this is this is part and parcel what the media does. But in, in terms of this particular this particular government, brother Africa, you know, she's <laughs> I'm not surprised she would say that. She's a she's a she's a starch Christian, she says, and uh, she's a, she's a Republican, but she comes out of Jamaica. So she comes from a from a place with a rigid class system, and so this internalization in terms of, uh, 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 you know, identifying with the British is very very strong in Jamaican society, and for those individuals who who uh, who are identified with British so strongly, anything that smacks of in terms of you know uh, African empowerment or anything that that questions the system at large, uh, these people are fundamentally opposed to you know uh, such uh, just revealing you know that particular information. So I'm not surprised that she would turn around and blame, and that's what she did, was blame the African community in terms of this, this event, totally omitting the fact that we're talking about the conditions, we're talking about a long history, we're talking about a system in place which contributes to a lot of the ills of society, but she's not going to have that discussion because she's not interested in discussion because it doesn't serve her interest. But I think also, Brother Africa, I think, um, you know, also when we, when we talk about in terms of her, 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 her skirting issue around gun availability, uh, it's clear. Uh, she understands that the availability of guns does contribute to, to shootings. It contributes to killings. She understands that. But, of course, as a politician, in fact, if you're going to raise funds, one of the things you don't want to do is antagonize the National Rifle Association. You don't want to antagonize them. Uh, they, spend, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year you know, endorsing candidates. And so she's, she's savvy enough to understand that if she's going to continue in politics, that she can need all the funding she can possibly get her hand on. And so, therefore, She's not going to look at the, uh, the situation objectively and understand the, the, the conditions that facilitate a lot of these, these, these horrific shootings. She's going to say that the guns themselves are not the problem. The problem is individual. It's similar to, say, it's similar to what people say, uh, guns kill not people. <laughs> and you, you see, they say this kind of thing because it doesn't take an analysis. You can simply say that, uh, you know, well, well, if, well if, if, if guns don't kill people, do they? You simply uh, allude that to 
uh, attributed that to the fact that you know, there's just bad people out here who shoot and kill. Of course, when you talk about in terms of gun violence, uh, uh, ironically, when you talk about the police in terms of in terms of gun violence, you know these conservatives are, are very very quiet in terms of gun violence. Uh, but when it comes to African people or poor people engaging in gun violence, then it's, it's, it's front page news. But they never bother, bother to critique the society uh, in terms of where you have this proliferation of guns. You have an encouragement for people to buy guns, where, where you demean people to the point where, uh, uh, where, it, it, where ex, you know, a, you know, expression of discontent often manifests in terms of gun play. And so none of this stuff gets addressed. But this is, this is by design. So it's incumbent upon the mass of the people for themselves to educate themselves in terms of understanding what's going on to seek the truth. Uh, if we look for the media, if we look for politicians like this woman, who's a, the, assistant, the assistant governor or, or the lieutenant governor of Virginia, if we look for people like her to provide clarity in terms of what's going on, it would never be forthcoming. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know, all this is a part of a systematic scheme. And this is why it's so important for people, you know, in the society to recognize that if you're going to come realization, if you come to the realization, if you want to come to the realization of what's real, what's real, then you have to do, put the work in in terms of investigating for yourself exactly what's, what's transpiring. And it's that simple. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Maurice, I can come to you since you live in that city. My question again, should one incident take precedence and blame the whole community for that act for that incident, Brother Maurice. What's wrong with that mere response from your perspective? Yes. Uh so basically, you know, she's doing she's a she's a Trump Trumpist. She's an African woman, you know, from the from the Caribbean or what have you. But she's a she's a Trumpist. She's a Trump supporter. She's a she's 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 the second she's the second lieutenant in line under Another Trumpist or another another fascist capitalist? Have you? He's an enemy to, to to working class African people, African people and working class people. But she is saying what I expected her to say. Um, it's not the gun, you know. She keeps saying, <laughs> you know. I'm just saying she's saying it's the uh, it's not the gun. It's the individual. Well, it's neither. It's not. It's neither the gun or the individual. It's the damn system we under, man. It's this capitalist system. That we're under, and 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 I don't want to sit up here and oh he just he's just blaming the system. He just that's an easy cop. It's not no easy cop. It's common sense. It's common sense when you when you look at the um you look at the the science uh uh you look at the science or you look at the data. You look at the data. Two hundred and twenty-two million five hundred and five thousand and forty-nine hours. Uh, forced African labor between 1619 and 1865 built capitalism. I say this again: 222,505,049 hours of forced African labor between 1619 and 1865 uh, built this United States of America gave rise to the industrial revolution when you have these white empires you have white empires like rick wrigley and and i was um uh uh, uh as a child i was given this propaganda of willie wonka and the chocolate factory love the movie one of my favorite kid movies but not realizing that willie wonka was based off a capitalist a capitalist name uh william wrigley uh who got his fortunes 
um, offer offer uh, working class labor and offer minerals in Africa. You understand what I'm saying? The candy, the chocolate, the gum, what have you, all of this extracted from Africa. You know, you got these white empires, whether it's Henry Ford with with with, with, with the Ford cars or Firestone uh, with the tires, the rubber that's extracted out of Liberia, Unilever, uh, Procter & Gamble with all these products. It, it doesn't, the list goes on, the beers, it goes on and on and on. So, yes, I mean, we have enough. Uh, if, if you go study, that's why political education is key. And, and echo the words of Brother Anthony, organize, organize, organize into a pan-African revolutionary organization, African people, black people. Um, you know, and so you won't end up like that sister. I don't even want to say, you know, that's, that, that sister who's a tenant governor in, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So you won't be uh, spearing ignorance like she's like she's doing. You know, and I say this, not to talk about nobody, their parents, not to be petty, but she needed she should go get a hair comb. But I conclude, and I, I'm, I'm just saying, get a hair braided or something, sister. I'm just saying. Maybe you can get some, I don't know. <laughs> I'm being petty. I'm being, I'm being ignorant. I mean, you know, but I'm just saying it, 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 it pissed me off when she, when, when, when our people make these statements. Um, it, it's just ignorance. But that's, that's neocolonialism, um, domestic uh, colonialism. One or better than LeVar Stoney, Mayor LeVar Stoney, than his comment uh, that he said. I don't want no better. He 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 he's doing the same thing. Come on, we will track you down. We like you are the, you know just singling out. This guy's a victim as well. Mark Pollard is a victim. But you just gonna sing? That's what they do with us, man. And it's just it's just pitiful and it's sad. And 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 we have as 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 rebel as Pan Africanists, um, as work class people, we have to uh, get into uh, political revolutionary organizations. So we can train our children um, and educate our children, so they can defeat, as the as the great Kwame Ture said, state man, this is a protracted struggle. And brother, brother Africa, I believe you you said this as well. This is a long, long struggle, and we need to train some African youth more than ever to 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 um, get political, educated, and organized, so we can. Oh, overcome and 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 um and ditch this system of capitalism and move on to scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Maurice. Brother Moses, talk to me. We said the great theme is to play on Africa and African people. Now we haven't really gotten directly to that theme, but I thought this fit this particular theme tonight in terms of the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia saw the need to be a mouthpiece for the NRA, but not for the interests of the people in the community and the people that she come from. What is your take on this this, this reaction from this lieutenant governor, Brother Moses? Political, the political structure needs to serve the people and keep politics in command, and, and that means, you know, serving the people and not just these uh, corporate interest groups um, who are profiting off the backs of the people. Uh, the gun lobby uh, is tremendous, and you know they they pretty much have control over this uh, political economy when it comes to the selling and 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 production of arms. You know we 
As Martin Luther King, again, I say we live in the greatest purveyor of violence on the face of the earth, and so, you know, the guns are part of that tradition. Uh, you know, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. So is that all? They told me when asking people in country with the position of authority, we'd be better off. They also told me that if you represent a segment of the community, you have a better chance of being represented by someone who comes from the community. What is your response to your reaction to this lieutenant governor and the need for her to defend the NRA and put the African community on blast? Your response, Sister Eleanor. Well, <clears throat> as we know, Yunkin and her went all the way to the Capitol, to Richmond, on pure propaganda. Yunkin promised to take uh, biased history out of elementary school. The people did not realize children were not learning history in elementary school. They began to learn geography in the fifth grade, U.S. geography. They began to learn the state capitals in the fifth grade. So what we saw happen in Virginia during the last election, uh, while the nation was kicking Trump out, the nation was in, in embracing authoritarianism. And remember, authoritarianism operates on simple phrases and sentences. You know, and um, you see how effective that is. And there is this whole mentality amongst many people concerning African Americans or the Africans that are the descendants of slaves in America and the impact that they have had on the country. And as I was saying earlier, the way we will turn this around, those vouchers from invading Richmond and creating these pockets of poverty to instead make sure people are able to buy a unit wherever it is in their community rather than becoming victims or pawns of uh, capitalism. And when we talk about electing people, progressive people to office, it's not only by the race of the people but it is the people and their values. And she um, was is a Republican. She came in with Yunkin with this backwards mentality. There were many people in the state of Virginia who thought not voting was the way to go. Apparently they forgot about Sister Fannie Lou Hamer and the sacrifices that the people made in Mississippi and are still struggling and paying for the day. And so, again, as Brother Maurice said, Brother Haiki said, it's about educating, 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 organizing, 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 and that's what it's about. 
you need to be organizing from the cradle to the grave. You need to be promoting literacy. There is a serious literacy problem in the African community in the United States. And I think the behavior that you're seeing is a result of the literacy problem. In addition to that, we have people that cannot afford a telephone, cannot afford a bicycle, but yet they have access to guns. This is not by accident. This is by intent. And uh, we need to look at these kind of things. You know, this week, uh, this weekend, um, there was a um, economic, it was a form um, that everyone could zoom in um, talking about, um, it was Vancouver plays chess for Che and Cuba. And um, it was really an opportunity for people with computers to um, log on and learn and and be educated. Um, It was done by the um, same folks that did the tribunal for Julian Assange back in January of 2023. So the real issue is a, a lack of education and the, as um, Ahaiki said, creating these pockets of segregation and isolation. We not only have food deserts, but Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, is the medical desert. There's nearly a million people here and only four hospitals. Everyone's insured. But what difference does it make if you don't have the facilities to serve you and to um, protect you and your elders' health? It simply means that uh, people are dying, not only by guns, but dying because of a lack of adequate medical care. Um, People, um, I would say to people, beware do not enter a hospital, quote, under observation, because if you're on Medicare or Medicaid, it limits what will happen to you. You will not be eligible for rehab. You will not be eligible for acute rehab and other things that you may need. So right now is a war, and it is a class war, a race war, and a gender war. And unfortunately, many blacks are warring against the, their brothers and sisters. So this is not by accident. This is clearly by intent. And this woman made her interest known before she made it to Richmond. Now, for those that were sitting around thinking that not voting was going to really make a difference, it does, and it has, and it did. And we've seen those results. That's how she got elected, and that's how Yunkin got into 
the state house. People thought, oh, if we make it bad enough, something will change. No, yes, it will change. What will change for the better is to educate the people and to organize fascism, racism, capitalism, and the oppression of people doesn't make them revolutionaries. It's us teaching each other, teaching each other to read so that we can study, having respect for each other in our communities to make a difference. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. In terms of one of your responses, Eleanor, I don't know if they are really critiquing the system in terms of both parties. In essence, they are behaving the same way when it comes to Africa, African people's interests. Some people will argue, and many people will argue, that objectively, what has the um, present administration done for Africa and African people? Anyway, that struggle will continue. What we're going to do, you're listening to Africa on the Move. You can hear this program every Sunday evening from 7 p.m. Eastern Time, Standard Time, U.S. We invite you to help us spread the word and help us spread the program, that this program is a program dedicated to speaking truth to the powerful and the powerless. So we ask you to come and join the board, get on board with us. And if you'd like to become a member of our fan club, our supporting club, you can do that by emailing us at Africa on the Move at gmail.com and we can tell you all the necessary requirements and what you can do to support the radio program. We are trying to grow this program. We need your support at the minimum. Spread the word and we will greatly appreciate it. This is a first part of a two-part series to play on Africa and African people. What we're going to do right now, we're going to give you a prelude to this theme as we play this clipping that you can find on YouTube titled The Race for Africa. Now, in this clipping, we may not agree with everything that is said, but I think there are some key issues and points that drive home when you listen to this clipping, particularly as this question of a very theme today, which is the play on Africa and African people. We will play this clipping, and when we come back, we will have this discussion on this theme, the play on Africa and African people. Listen, and we'll be right back. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Today we'll talk about Africa, once seen by Europe as the antithesis of civilization, the heart of darkness in the words of a certain Joseph Conrad. Centuries later, Africa remains ignored. It makes news for its conflicts, poverty and exoticism. For the longest time, the world saw it as a lost cause. Then one country saw opportunity and thus began a new race for Africa, not very different from the scramble of the 19th century when colonial Britain and France wanted raw materials, slaves and geopolitical influence. Now in the 21st century, global powers are in more or less the same race. China, the United States, India, the European Union, Japan, Israel, Canada, all of these countries are in the race for Africa. And one country is emerging as the clear winner. Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay and this is Africa, a continent of 54 sovereign states, 17% of the world's population, 9.6% of the global oil output, 
90% of the world's platinum supply, 90% of the world's cobalt supply, half of the world's gold supply, two-thirds of the world's manganese, 35% of the world's uranium, 75% of the world's coltan, and 54 votes in the United Nations General Assembly. This is what makes Africa so attractive and makes the continent a battleground for global powers. There are numerous fronts, investment and infrastructure, military power, diplomacy, soft power, trade, geopolitics. Every country has its own interest in Africa. In 2016, Israel began its scramble for the continent. Benjamin Netanyahu became the first Israeli Prime Minister to visit Africa in 50 years. What did he want? Votes. In favor of Israel and against Palestine in the United Nations resolutions. Africa and Israel share similar histories, he said. Israel went on to sponsor solar, water and agricultural technologies. In the same year, 2016, Senegal co-sponsored a UN resolution. It condemned the construction of illegal Jewish settlements in the West Bank. What did Israel do? It cancelled the Mashav drip irrigation project. And this is just one example. Here's another one. The European Union has pledged more than $54 billion in sustainable investment for Africa. What does the EU want? Access to the African market of 1.3 billion people. Brussels has negotiated free trade agreements with at least 40 African countries. But does this ensure a balanced two-way trade? It doesn't. And no country has a bigger interest in Africa than China. China is funding one in five infrastructure projects in Africa. It is building every third one. Africa has an infrastructure deficit and China has a signed checkbook. Starting 2005, China has invested at least $2 trillion in Africa. It built 6,200 kilometers of railways, including the continent's longest railway line connecting Ethiopia and Djibouti. Beijing has also built the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa. What does China get in return? A lot. Geopolitical influence to start with. Beijing is selling its culture, its currency. In Guinea-Bissau, exit signs are written in Mandarin. China has established at least 50 Confucius Institutes across 33 countries. Several African countries use Chinese currency. China also gets a strategic overseas base. In 2017, China built its first overseas base at the Horn of Africa, Djibouti to be specific. Djibouti connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean via the Suez Canal. The base has the capacity to accommodate 10,000 troops. China also gets a market to dump its goods. China is Africa's largest trading partner. Chinese trade has increased 40-fold in the last two decades. At least 10,000 Chinese firms operate in Africa. This is according to a McKinsey study. Africa has resources and China has access. Did you know that a third of China's investments in Africa are in the mining sector? And finally, it gets to debt trap Africa. But here's the thing. China is not the only country investing in this continent. It's not even the biggest. The United States is Africa's largest investor. It accounts for $54 billion of FDI stock. There are 600 American companies operating in South Africa alone. And this, even after the U.S. president called Africa this. For the longest time, Africa was nothing but a war zone for Washington. It has over 7,000 troops deployed in the continent. They are spread across some 13 African countries, including Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Chad, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, Libya, Mali, Mauritania, Niger, South Sudan, Somalia, and Tunisia. For the U.S., Africa was a continent for counter-terrorism operations. What happened then? 
Why is the U.S. suddenly interested in Africa? The answer is this. For the U.S., Africa is now a new front to take on China, and Washington is now fighting it out for power and influence. An article on the U.S. State Department website reads, and I quote, Africa is the continent of the future. Thus, we need to make the most of its potential. By 2050, its population will more than double to 2.2 billion people with over 60% under the age of 25. Where is Africa's interest in all of this? Also, what about India? What role does India play in this continent? New Delhi's ties with Africa date back to the time of Mahatma Gandhi. India was part of the Bandung Project of 1955. New Delhi supported Africa's anti-colonial struggles. It supported the liberalization movements in Ghana, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau. India also raised the issue of racism in South Africa. It will be unfair to say, though, that India's newfound interest in Africa has nothing to do with China. In 2018, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi toured key African states just ahead of Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit. In 2018, India decided to open 18 new embassies in Africa. India has defense partnerships with Zambia, Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, Botswana, Uganda, Mozambique and Namibia. New Delhi is currently training African military. Indian company Airtel is a dominant telecom firm in Africa. New Delhi is offering 50,000 scholarships to African students. Despite everything, India is far behind China in the race for Africa. China's Belt and Road Initiative has sealed its hold on Africa. If in the 1900s Africa was colonized with force, in 2020, it is being trapped by loans. China accounts for 14% of sub-Saharan debt. In Kenya, the volume of Chinese loans is six times that of France, which is the country's second largest creditor. And Sri Lanka can tell you what happens when Chinese loans are not repaid. China is looking to capture Africa. It has a strong diaspora. It is spending big money. It is selling its movies, culture and currency. China extracts raw materials. It manufactures products with them and sells them back to this continent. Does this remind you of something? What did the British do in India? In the 19th century, the rivalry between Britain and France fueled Africa's colonization. In the 21st century, the trade war between the United States and China is hastening the same. Just like the 19th century, there are numerous countries in the scramble for Africa. And just like the 19th century, there is nothing in it for Africa. Gravitas Plus. Co-presented by Skoda. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We now will make a transition to part one of the two-part series, the play on Africa and African people. You know, back in the day, they used to have, they used to have a saying that on a piece of the rock. I'm telling everybody it's your own a piece of the rock. And why would someone want a rock? What is the value of the rock? Or is this another way of coding a special message on a piece of the rock? Was it Africa that they was talking about? Let's have a discussion again on the very forums how the play on Africa and African people continues today. Recently there was a clipping or a documentary from a young lady out of Ireland. She was Irish. And she was speaking to the European Parliament on the games they play or the play on Africa and African people. When she talked about how they continue to manipulate the lie and 
and be very deceptive as if they play no role or have no role of most, if not many of the problems the African countries are facing. She talk about how they, in essence, are behind the major problems in Africa, how they control government, put up puppet governments, and have them to do their bidding. How they create these different so-called terrorist groups and arm them and create chaos in African countries. How they own and control the major economic institutions and industries in Africa. But why at the same time they turn around and say, poor Africa, why can't they solve their problem? The hypocrisy is out of this world. And it's a real interesting piece she called them out. She definitely spoke truth to power. And I was very interested in terms of Wayne Hill, a political panelist and analyst's response to this particular clipping, to this particular um, call out by this young European Irish politician of criticizing the EU as a body and the games that they are playing when it comes to Africa, African people. So on that note, Thought I was you, Brother Haki. I'm real interested in terms of um, your critique of the point that the European Ivy system was calling EU, EU, uh, EU, the European Union, out in terms of how they are maneuvering behind the stage and creating most of this chaos against Africa, African people. Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, there's a, uh, a strong tradition in Ireland in terms of, you know, the women specifically being very outspoken in terms of the injustice that exists in the world and pretty and pretty outspoken in terms of specifically saying, yeah, calling the West out in terms of the kind of shenanigans the West typically engage in in terms of fomenting or certainly uh, encouraging you know, wars on the African continent. Uh, you know, prior to this, this, young, this young sister, there was another sister out of Ireland, um, Irish woman, uh, Linda Robinson, who was a former UN representative on humanitarian aid. And she was very, very, uh, very, very clear on terms of the roots in terms of poverty that exists, you know, throughout the world. And she, again, she laid the blame squarely at the feet of, you know, Western institutions in terms of facilitating poverty and hunger throughout the world. Uh, so, you know, she was one of the first people to term the, to coin the term, um, you know, I'm here to, to do a job, not keep a job. Uh, so clearly there's this, this tradition in terms of Ireland in terms of women coming forth and speaking truth to power. And certainly when this young lady spoke, uh, I think she, she's, very, very, she's very, very correct. Uh, one of the things, when we see these kind of incidents, when we see these, this fighting going on in Africa, uh, we only see the surface. Uh, you know, behind the scene, often uh, you can find the, 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 the handprint of, uh, of, of Western states, in particular the United States, in terms of facilitating that. And so when she talk about in terms of, you know, funding, you know, you know these, these, these power brokers in terms of these individuals who do any and everything in pursuit of power, uh, she understands, you know, that uh, the U.S. Would, would, would use, you know, its economic advantage uh, for the purpose of achieving, you know, a geopolitical, achieving its geopolitical interest. In that context, you know, we got to look squarely in terms of who is the catalyst behind all this fighting. And as I said before, historically, it's always been the Western world, specifically the United States of, of America. I think also when she, when she talked about the fact that um, you know, the tendency in terms of, you know, blaming Africans, you know, is very, very interesting. 
One of the things that capitalism does very, very well is that you know, whenever it creates a problem, it blames the victims. For instance, in America, you would say you know, people, are, and people are impoverished. Uh, you say, well, it's their fault uh, you know, uh, because they don't want to work hard. Or people are homeless. Well, you say, well, it's their fault. Uh, you know, they simply don't have a job. Uh, if they had a job, then maybe they could. And then you ask the question, well, what about employment? Uh, there are no jobs available. There's no availability of jobs. That's crap. There's always availability of jobs. Of course, what they won't tell you is that to the extent that jobs actually exist, and which, which are relatively scarce, very scarce, is that it's not going to pay you a meaningful wage in terms of being able to afford the rents, skyrocketing rents, as they increase. So this ability in terms of blaming a victim is what capitalism does. That's one of the frustrating things about talking to people on the right. Because they have a very the, – the, the inability in terms of making sense of one plus one for a lot of conservatives is a very difficult thing to, to undertake. And so I think when she talks about the fact that her practice that exists in the EU, in the West, in terms of fomenting, you know, all of this, these atrocities around the globe, and then she enumerated, you know, all of these places in which you were – by Western states, in particular the United States, were complicit in terms of, you know, you know creating war, engaging in war, of um, – you know, uh, um, Orkman War, when she talks about that, she named all of these places around the world in which U.S. and the Western world was complicit in terms of doing bad things, uh, she spoke truth to power at that point. And so when we, when, we, when we talk about, for instance, places like Cuba and Venezuela, Nicaragua, and you said to yourself, these are the small countries that never did anything to the United States. And the question becomes, why are they the targets of uh, relentless uh, U.S. aggression? And they did nothing to the United States. All they're trying to do is live their life. Well, they pose an existential threat in terms of the ideology. They're saying that human beings, all human beings, irrespective of class, irrespective of skin color, irrespective of gender, irrespective of, sex, irrespective of sexuality, all human beings have a right to partake in the, the abundance uh, uh, or resources that the planet has to share, and that no human being has a right to capitalize on the resources of the earth at the expense of the many. And so, therefore, so, so essentially what she did was that, you know, when she, when she called out the hypocrisy and, and enumerated all of these places in which so much wrong has been committed, she essentially laid out the history of the West in terms of, you know, imperialism, in terms of destructive impact in terms of imperialism, and, you know, how it um, not only adversely negatively impact economies, but sure countless lives needless simply because someone, you know, in the Western world wants power. Uh, uh, and wouldn't do anything to achieve power, even if it means the fundamental death of you know of hundreds of thousands of people, you know, over 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 a period of over a period of a month. Uh, so clearly, uh, brother, Africa, I think she made a very very good point in terms of her presentation. And uh, you know, one thing I take my hat off to her, and you know, much much respect for that sister in terms of her honesty and her candor. And I close with that. Good brother Hakeem, go to brother Moses. Your response to that video, brother Moses. Well, neocolonialism has, has been you know, been predominant ever since there's been a revolutionary liberation movement. Uh, uh, the oppressor is always trying to figure out how he can maintain his control and keep his resources and not lose his lifestyle. And uh, this is the problem we're faced with, uh, the reorganization of the world and the reorganization of the world's resources to a political economy that is just and fair. And this is the struggle. Uh, it's a protracted struggle, but it's a real struggle. 
Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Maurice, your response. Yes, uh, it's refreshing to hear some, you know, hear uh, when somebody's calling out the EU. Um, you know, it's 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 overdue, it's past due, and not not only um, we have to we have to hold hold these people accountable for the for the tremendous tremendous murders, the tremendous corruption that they are getting getting away with. We have these people have to be be held uh, accountable. Um, not only do we have to call out these people, we more than ever we have to organize, organize, organize. It, it, it's a, it's a, I seen a, it's like a T-shirt that says organize, agitate, and educate. But I would say we got to politically um, revolutionary. So we got to be clear on what we're educating, what type of education we're meaning. Because you can get a literacy education, you can get a, a mathematician education, you can get a a, a, a capitalist education. You understand what I'm saying? But we, we what we're education we're I'm advocating for, we're advocating for is a pan African socialist revolutionary working class uh education. Um we can be against capitalism all day, but what what's gonna replace that system is honestly the only justified the just justifiable and the, the um humanistic egalitarianistic organization that's going to replace it is scientific socialism. Uh, the people uh, putting people over profit, not profit over people, like you see right now. We having profit over, 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 over people. I'll tell you something real quick I conclude. I was looking at a documentary on the, uh, on uh, Netflix about uh, the missing air, uh, Malaysia airplane, um, MPH370 uh, or, or whatever uh, airplane. Um, and it was this is a big airplane, two hundred and thirty something people or more was on an airplane, and they said that the airplane was missing. But one of the theories of how the airplane was missing is because of the United States of America shooting down the plane um, and trying to cover it up, um, trying to cover it up the debris and trying to cover 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 basically cover it up the the, the, the um cover up the the, the the situation that they did. Um, what the theory stated, or the person on there was saying that uh, the United States and the West was involved in shooting down this plane because they had cargo going into China, and they did not want that cargo, this technology, to reach the China. That was one of the theories, and this plane got shot. They got shot down. This is a believable theory because you're dealing with United States, you're dealing with the West, um, Western powers that are that are built on uh, Cointel Pro, that are built on CIA, that are built on Taking babies out of a woman's womb and slavery and and, and crushing the skull with their foot, with the boot, uh, with the sole of their boot, crushing the baby's skull right out the womb, throwing them on the babies on the ground. This is the pe- This is a system that was influenced by these type of people. So when you know, this, when you call out, when you have somebody that's bold enough to call out uh, these criminals. For their for their uh, all their kidnapping and all of their, the plague that they bringing in Haiti and all the hell that they trying to give Cuba the hell they're trying to give Venezuela the hell they're trying to give Brazil and the hell that they're giving all over the world um, we we need more people to step up and be consistent um, and we have to organize more than ever politically uh, revolutionary organize more than ever thank you. Thank you, Brother Maurice. Sister Eleanor, 
The mic is yours. Well, Ireland has, since the 1980s, um, been, it was the first European Union member, for example, to endorse the establishment of a Palestinian state. And in twenty in January twenty eleven, Ireland so the Irish delegation uh, continued to oppose these illegal settlements. Ireland also supported and endorsed uh the African American struggle in the United States against US apartheid. So um the Irish have stood up uh, for many years, the same way uh, Fidel and uh, um, Nguma stood up for Africa, and they stood for four basic things, the opposition of colonialism, uh, education, uh fighting imperialism and uh, the fourth was independence so um, nothing's changed this this is the line this is the position for for not only Ireland for Cuba in terms of Africa and that that's the reality. It is the EU and the United States and uh, China and India that are racing for the resources in Africa. And as we listen to the gravitas tape, it should bring into view the clarity of the uh, proxy war uh, in the Ukraine in that Russia also has diamonds and platinum as well as gold and, most importantly, oil and gas. So um, you see right now the EU, Great Britain, and the United States and China are in a struggle for these uh, carbon-producing products to expand their wealth. And uh, the world has to speak up against these uh, atrocities and to be aware of them. And the Irish people have stood up and supported uh, not only Africa, but as I said, the Palestinians openly. And uh, uh, the African American struggle in the United States. And um, I think the other analysts had explained it all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And I'm glad you mentioned, Sister Eleanor, when we talk about EU, we also were talking about the extension of the U.S. EU is the mother of the U.S. and her children. Brother Haki, I find this amazing, and the question is, the play on Africa, the African people, how is it that when the truth even does come out, such as many of these so-called jihadists and Boko Ramon and these so-called terrorist groups, 
we knew that these groups were formulated and created by the West, particularly the U.S., but they continued to use the same narratives that, um, you know, these groups are the problem and they don't know how to resolve it when they were once created. How they continue to get away with this even when the truth comes out that they were the ones who backed them and created them? How do we respond to this? Again, this is another play on Africa and African people. Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, Brother Africa, you know, you know, one of the problems, uh, well, certainly one of the major problems in American society, and this has historically been the case, is one of illiteracy. And one of the things, the ruling class had a better interest in making sure the mass of the American people cannot read and write because it serves their interests. So one of the things in terms of, you know, if you superimpose the inability to read and write with the fact that you get news that's slanted, news that's disingenuous, news that lies, then it creates a situation where you're vulnerable to, to almost any kind of, of absurd lie that, that, the, uh, that the powers that be uh, are manifest. Uh, so I think one of the things that happens is that, you know, uh, you know, if you don't read, if you don't understand the nature of the beast in terms of, you know, you know your research, uh, then you're vulnerable in terms of being um, in a situation where you're com- actually compelled to actually listen to a narrative being put forth, uh, you know, by the media because it's easier to listen than it is to read and, to read and write. And so, therefore, uh, one of the things that when you have that kind of reality, uh, what it means is that in terms of the kind of analysis that you need in terms of understanding fully what's happening in the world, becomes very difficult to do because essentially what happens is that the American system of capitalism creates a situation where people are essentially disengaged. And if people are disengaged and they can't conceivably understand the complexities of the, that takes place in the world. And, be, and because of that, that lack of, lack of, lack of, uh, of, of fundamental understanding, uh, they can always um, tell people or create a narrative that says that, you know what, the enemies of, of, the, enemies of the West or the enemies of hum- humanity are these, 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 these jihadists or these terrorists. Uh, it's Boko Haram, um, you know, uh, they're, um, they're, uh, they're um, out of Somalia. Uh, the, uh, I've got the name, the name evades me. Uh, the young group, Al-Shabaab. They can always say that the problem is these people are fundamental problem. And people don't understand that, you know, these, these organizations, to a large extent, are always been funded and, and supported with the help of the United States government. It serves the U.S. interest in terms of having these people exist. So what happens is that when these people are out here, quote, unquote, carrying out these killings, it gets magnified in the media. So it creates the perception that these people are just wild, out of control, and, and ruthless killers. And so, therefore, they have to be crushed, which means it gives U.S. justification for more expenditures for war, more money for the military, but people feel like, well, it's, we have to do this in terms of beating back a threat, never understanding that the real threat is your own government. <laughs> it's your own government And so it's an old strategy brother. It's an old tactic And it's, it's, it's not a new tactic But it works I mean what can I say It works Most people If you, tell, if you say uh, uh, Al-Shabaab Boko Haram Or you say um, or, or you say uh, 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 Jihadists That's the first thing they tell you Well they're terrorists and, and, and you ask them Why are they terrorists Well I don't know I, I was told they're terrorists So I'm assuming they're terrorists And so it's, it's pretty hard to compete or to have some kind of discourse around issues that are that are global in nature, when people are not people are not informed of just basic kinds of stuff that goes on in society, and the mere fact that we're talking about is 
literacy in this country continues to, to proliferate. Uh, that means that increasingly young people who are the future, uh, who must devise ways in terms of moving forward, it means the challenges they face become much more difficult because you can't read and write, and you're very vulnerable to manipulation. The great thing about a place like Cuba is that you've got a literacy rate of like 95, 99, 95 to 99% of the population can read and write. That's great because with that kind of literacy, it can hold the government to account. Conversely, when you talk about the United States and you've got a very low literacy rate, you can't hold the government to account because uh, people can't read and write and make the kind of, the kind of analysis that they need to, 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 uh, to make and understand the world. And as a consequence, People, the U.S. government, in particular the media, can titillate people with all kinds of absurd nonsense. When you look at the proliferation of this stupid program they have on TV, you ask yourself, what the hell? I mean, every pro, 99% of the programs that come on are all geared toward entertainment. Nothing of intellectual value. And you come to why is this? Why do they spend so much money on sports? Why is this, why is this happening? In, in, in the face of all this illiteracy, why is all this entertainment on television? Why are we glorifying sports? Why is all this existing? Well, it serves the interests of the ruling class. This is precisely what they want. So if they keep people titillated with the, with the mundane and people are not focused on the reality of the situation as it currently exists, then they can easily paint others abroad as terrorists or the bad guys or the enemies of the West or the enemies of humanity. They can very easily do that. And because we don't understand the history in terms of U.S. and Western states, intelligence agencies funding these guys, providing weaponry for these guys, funding weaponry to these guys, because we don't understand that, we fail to make that connection in terms of how we're being duped. And as long and, and the ruling class understand as long as we are duped, one thing you always say, Brother Africa, they will persist in using that strategy no matter how how old it is. See, some of us understand the strategy. Most American people don't understand the strategy. And because most American people don't understand the strategy, they'll continue to use it because it's beneficial and it's very, very successful, very, very efficient in terms of it's a building in terms of deceiving the mass of the people in American society. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know, I, I, I think that this whole, this whole question around funding, you know, quote-unquote terrorists, you know, uh, you know is not only an old strategy, but, but the bottom line is that when you start thinking about it, the reality is the real terrorists are right here in America. The real terrorists are right in the Western world. Those are the real terrorists. Unfortunately, we don't have the proper frame of reference to identify who the real terrorists are instead we tend to blame those abroad, those who are fighting for, for, for autonomy, who are fighting for self-determination. Self, for, for self we tend to blame them as being terrorists or the bad guys, when in fact the terrorists and bad guys are right in the United States and in the Western world. And I'll close with that. Brother Haki, you just put me into a mindset of years ago in the African Liberation Day in Washington, D.C. They had a quote in which they stated, the only terrorists in the USA are the FBI and the CIA. I hear my brother. Let's make this transition to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, talk to me, brother. Talk to the people. Talk to the world, the listening world, and we speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. I don't understand this, Brother Maurice, but when they talk about the play of Africa, African people, this is a good example. And I'd like you to speak to this. Here you have your European merchants. They come out of Europe with nothing. They say they're going to a continent that's poor. They don't have nothing. How do you go to a continent that's poor but come back out rich? Explain that to me, Brother Maurice. Talk to me, brother. Talk to me. Well, it's quite simple, Brother Africa. As 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 a leader that I and books and studies and philosophy that I follow, 
follow, as in Chroma, Kwame and Chroma, he stated, Africa, please listen, Africa is not poor. It's only Africans who who are poor because of capitalism and uh, 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 exploitation. But Africa is not poor. And the European, and I'm sorry, not the, I mean, the capitalist people, right, the West, the capitalist class, that's why these, these, these people are running to Africa, brother. That's why uh, South Africa and uh, Africans in South Africa catching hell because these um, foreigners, if you will, right? These Europeans coming into South Africa saying uh, saying I had worked with a with a with a with a European sister from Africa and saying she was African. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? That's why they run into Africa because they, they know Africa is rich. They know Africa got all these minerals. I mean, my God, all of the minerals, all of these. You look at these, um, the franchises, these white empires. I call them these. All these white empires that that's in that's ingrained in everyday society. Whether you talk about Walt Disney, and again, uh, whether you talk about Playboy or whatever, whatever you talk about Nike, all of them capitalize. All of these uh, white empires. They capital they they built they they empire off the exploitation of Africans in Africa. Without Africa and without Africans, you wouldn't have these empires. You wouldn't have industrialization that took place off of our labor, off you know off of our disunity. They came into Africa, man, and they came in there with a Gatling gun when they took L's when they lost against the Zulus. Zulus kicked their ass with the with the with a weapon called their side guy and they came back with a they invented a weapon called a Gatling gun where you could just take a few Europeans and roll them on out and they just turn and da and they just take out hundreds of Africans at a time. It was a, it was a, it was a it was a a a, tra- a, 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 a assault rifle on wheels they roll out there. They came with the cannonballs. The cannonballs they took they they, they was um they they used to take out Africans and, and, and rebellions or revolts. Uh then it, you know, drones, they keep coming with weapons, they building they building stuff to keep us oppressed. Like we talk about Cop, Cop City, right? Cop City down in Atlanta, they building this this uh, another white empire for police to train, to drink beer, to play golf, to come out there, relax as a resort, whatever. They doing all that in the response to the twenty twenty uh, uh, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, COVID-19, uprisings, revolts, whatever you want, to, rebellion down in Atlanta. Those people, our Africans in Atlanta, the world-class people in Atlanta, they took, they had Atlanta shook. They came in the CNN headquarters, and they had them police officers shook for a point in time when they uh, murdered Rashad Brooks down there in, in, in Atlanta. They they had the Africans had Atlanta shook. I say they had them scared because they took uh, police. They I never seen it, man. I was down there when it happened. They had police GRTC buses. If you're in Richmond, transit buses, long, big, long, big bu- buses with police signs on them, blocking the uh, exits to get off the highway. To get off the exit, you couldn't even get off the exit. You had to stay on the highway, drive right into the city when it, when when uh, Ray, Ray Rashard Brooks. Um, which was killed by uh, police officers uh, in, 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 in the summer of 2020. But this is why they, they, they got to, I say all that to say, Brother Africa, 
they got a response, and I know I, I, I this this all connects to your question, but they they all they always got a response. They try to be ahead of the game by keeping us oppressed and exploited and 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 unorganized and all over the place. Um, they they try to stay ahead of the they, they stay ahead they stay ahead of the revolution the the possibility of revolution because they know if we get organized the revolution is coming and their days are numbered and they they can't have and they can't have a stranglehold on Africans you keep African people uh, suffocated it's like somebody coming in your house if somebody come in your house they tie you down they they, they they, they hold you for ransom in your own house. They go in your house. They go and eat, eat your food. They go and do all of the resources they have in your house. But you're you're tied down or you're 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 entertained, like Brother Haki said, right? I just want to pick it back off what Brother Haki said. They 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 give us all of this entertainment, propaganda. Like I I used to hear my um. Uh, uncle said, yeah, back in the back in the day, we only had two channels where they give us all of this. All of these channels, the social media, to keep us distracted. And speaking of 2020, uh, we didn't have too many um, distractions because we was at home. We was uh, what you call um, we was at home. Uh, I forgot what. Uh, uh, um, oh man, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing too much. I guess around I can't even um, uh, remember my thought. But we was at home. I forgot the term, the word I want to use. But we was at home. NBA was postponed. Sports, NFL, sports was shut down because of COVID. So we didn't, ha- we had more time on our hands to say, "Hey, look, hell no, nah, we we getting, we this ain't right. We we gonna go out here to the streets, blase, blase." Yeah, they knocked down, they, uh, we knocked down statues. Yeah, we did that. But um, as for Atlanta, and not only Atlanta, this is the United States of America. They they are responding and working to keep us at bay as much as possible, the working class at bay as much as possible. It is quality. I do believe in uh, 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 quantity and to quality, and this is where we're at right now. I feel like we're seeing it uh, with the with the development of more, um, more, and I, and I praise you, praise you, Brother Africa, and, and that because you've been doing this for for for, for, for years, man, um, uh, generations with this with this media. But I do see. Uh, increase of, of 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 political revolutionary political pan Africanist uh, platforms on um, YouTube and social media media. So we we we're, we are rising. Africa Africa is on going to be continue on the move, and they cannot. Don't worry. Uh, like uh, brother uh, Martin said, how long it won't be long, brother. Um, I'm, it's it's on its way. We just got to keep we got to keep doing what we're doing. Like we these platforms, we got to keep organizing. We got to keep fighting more than ever. We got to revolutionize political, radical, politically educate our youth more than ever. If you got if you got great grandkids, nephews, nieces, cousins, neighbors, children, whatever, you got access to children. Please, excuse me. Please uh, introduce them and show them documentaries of Africa. Not don't just uh show them um uh 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 you know like we're gonna celebrate Kwanzaa we're gonna celebrate June tenth we gotta go further than that man they we need to learn about Africa we need to learn about scientific socialism as children we need to learn about it and and we need to make this a reality thank you.
Yeah, Brother Hock, um, Brother Maurice, thank you for your response. You you were responding to the question, and this is a question for the world to African people. When we talk about play on words, uh, and play on Africa and play on African people, how in the hell do you go to a poor country or a poor country and you come out rich? How could that be? But that was the essence I was asking you to address. But let's move on to Brother Brother Moses. As Brother Mavi stated earlier, and Brother Kwame Ture will often say, Africa, African people are not poor. They are just poorly organized. That's right. Africa not poor, nor are African people. But we are poorly organized. For example, if you look at the sports institutions in this country around the world, you'll find out that they will go into the the so-called African communities that they call ghettos. They will take our children, and these will be poor children. They take our children, put a ball in their hand, and the owners of these basketball teams, the National Basketball Association, become billionaires and trillionaires. How can that be, Brother Moses? How can that be, Brother Moses? Is this not just another attempt or a play on Africa and African people? Your response, Brother Moses. Well, you know, the sports industry is... is uh profit-driven industry, uh, uh, and uh, it reflects the values of the society that it operates in. And uh, this certainly, you know, this, we, we, uh, we don't, we're fighting for equal opportunity and justice and fair play and to get our just portion of payment for our uh, work, uh, but the sports the sports industry, you know, is 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 part of the superstructure, and it it, it, will, it can change if if we change the economic base and the and the and the, uh, and the state government. Uh, uh, if we if we have a socialist political economy. It will it will change the the way sports and all all of society is operating. Uh, um, this this is the the plan. Uh, we have to keep politics in command and, and uh, advocate for the rights of of the workers. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Sister Eleanor, your general response? As we look at the theme tonight, the play on African-African people, there was an assumption made in the political arena that African people struggle to become part of the system, become part of the political parties, have more mayors, more governors, more politicians in key positions. The conditions for African people would be better. Well, today we have more mayors, we have more politicians. We have more people in the Democratic Party. We have more people in the political system, the electoral system. But yet, that increase the number of participants in these institutions has not led to the well-being and the overall improvement of African people conditions. Matter of fact, statistics show that we are a lot worse off now than we were before. How do you explain that dynamic, um, Sister Eleanor? Is this another play on Africa and African people? Your response, Sister Eleanor. No, 
quite frankly, what's happening is that as awful as it is, we are better off because of these positioning, uh, these advancements. But Brother Haiki said something very important that has to be addressed in the United States, the low literacy rate. The Reaganomics revolution, you saw a changing in journalism where we were able to have entertainment news and opinionated journalism. At first, it seemed like it was just some guy named Russian Limbaugh acting uh, bizarre on the radio, but it has expanded. And we saw with Fox News recently uh, them having to pay a huge settlement, but they didn't have to address the facts publicly to the public, the listening public, that they are not a news broadcast, but a news entertainment broadcast. So with the illiteracy, with the mis with the uh miseducation of the Negro, as Carter G. Woodson said and he had written in nineteen twenty nine, you see these setbacks. Also legislatively, during the civil rights movement, and only two pieces of legislation are black listed specifically, and that's under the Voters' Rights Act and under that uh, quota system. And I think the word that Brother Maurice was looking for in 1920 is that we were all quarantined in 2020. So that's why we weren't out doing as many things. But the reality is, to get back to my point, is that there were only two pieces of legislation that addressed us as people. And in all the other civil rights legislation, um, we were, quote, minorities. And I think the indigenous people and the descendants of the slaves, whether or not they are, we are minorities was not the issue. The issue is who we are and the fact that as Queen Mother Moore had set forward you know, reparations had not been paid. We had not been compensated. You know, if it wasn't for people like Ida B. Wells bringing the lynchings to the attention of all of the nation, no one would have known about many of these 4,700 and some lynchings that occurred in, in just a few years in our country. So it gets down to the fact that, yes, we are a better off, but we would be so much worse off if, if, if we had not made these few advancements. Keep in mind, 39 states have passed voter restriction laws since 2020. So I remind you, brother, that it may look bad, but it can always get worse. And that's why it's important, as Brother Anthony says all the time, organize, organize, organize. And as Brother Haiki mentions frequently, the issue is literacy. The other thing is the institutionalization of everything. 
We have the prison industrial complex. We now have industrialized housing. If you get busted and you're living in your senior citizen building and you're arrested for being at a demonstration, you could end up homeless. We don't have the privacy in the home. Our homes are becoming minimum security prisons. We don't own our homes. If you own your home, there's a level of peace, quiet, and enjoyment that you have that those who live in government-funded housing do not. And the landlords of this housing can have been incarcerated. There's a a building in D.C. uh, that is an income tax uh, credit property on 15th Street between Euclid and Fuller Street. And the owner of that property was uh, convicted, as was a Richmond council person, uh, for their Ill- their illegal behavior around subsidized housing. Meanwhile, the guy was in jail serving his time, and his representative was here in the District of Columbia working with council member, then council member Ward 1, Jim Graham, to open this next building. So whereas as a convict, he wouldn't be eligible to live in that building. But as a landlord, he's eligible to oppress and rip off the residents of that building. So there are a lot of class divisions in our country. So we need to focus on very important things, literacy, voting, home ownership. We need to get away from this uh food dependency on the state. At one point, you go to food banks and they send you a bag of groceries. Now you better go with your ID and they're tracking you on computers. And in the District of Columbia, in some some areas, you're only able to receive groceries twice a month. So they're regulating what you eat, when you eat, They regulate where you live, how you live. So we're we're in a real crisis in this country. And, yes, we're better off, as awful as it is. But we've got a long way to go, and we better organize and stand together. I heard a brother talk recently, and he talked about the future is bright for the educated and this and that. It is but the future needs to be bright for all working-class people. We need to let all people know and understand if you depend on a paycheck, you're a part of the working class. And God bless you if you're getting a paycheck where you can afford to live, where you can afford a Starbucks coffee instead of sleeping in a tent behind the Starbucks. So there are many contradictions. The working poor cannot afford housing. The working poor cannot afford to travel. 
the working poor may not know what it looks like in the city where they were born across town because they can't afford it. And there's another thing that plagues the working poor, ignorance. I didn't say a lack of education. Some of them may even have a degree, but a profound ignorance so that if they have a car, They're not going to load up everybody like it was during the Great Migration and drive them all over Richmond so they can see it or drive them all over the five barrels of New York so they can become familiar with it or Jersey City or even Washington, D.C. or P.G. County. So we are doing better, but we've got to do better for ourselves. we got to wake up and learn to help each other and have these literacy programs from infancy through the grave happening in all our communities. We don't need to be a talking head about what we read. We need to be sitting somewhere reading to others so that they can read and learning more about our history. I didn't know until very recently that during the Woodrow Wilson era, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, that that during the Truman era, what is now Mexico was offered to be sold to the United States, but it declined because 1.5 million former enslaved people had moved there, and the rest of the people who lived there were described as indigenous people, and the U.S. did not want to further dilute itself, its whiteness, and so it declined. And it was offered the country simply because Thomas Jefferson, some years before, had purchased the northern United States, which had been a part of that same colony. Ergo, what we saw at the turn of the century was Pancho Villa uniting with the petty bourgeoisie in Mexico and there being a revolution. And the result of that revolution is that everyone in the United States celebrates a holiday called Cinco de Mayo. Okay, thank you so much, um, Brother Africa, for having me once again on the show. But again, yes, we are doing better, but the problem is education is liberation, and we've got a long ways to go. Thank you, Sister Alnor. Brother Haki, I'm going to come back to you. Again, we're going to a station break, and we're going to have our final thoughts for today's program. I'm going to put you in the hot seat, because I know if you're in the seat, you can take the heat. Brother Haki, are we falling for the play on Africa and African people? As you hear, as you hear such uh, concept as things will get worse. Well, if things get worse, they also can get better. Well, I don't hear about they can get better. But why are we hear the term of Vote for two of the less evil. Why the hell are we voting for evil anyway? But what you expect to get from this when they tell you what you get in up front, you're going to get evil. So in terms of that kind of double talk, uh, we can play your response. 
Brother Haki. And the last point is, we have lived through the history of having an African in president, being the president of this country to call the United States. Did that include the conditions of African people? Your response, Brother Haki. Uh, <laughs> well, brother, well, brother Africa, you know, uh, you know, one of the things, you know, um, you know, we often say things, you know, in our attempt to be philosophical, we say things without necessarily understanding the implications of what we say. You know, one of the things is when we say things can only get worse, that's quite true. Things, things could conceivably get worse, but also things could be get better. You see, but when you say things can only get worse, that presupposes that you're not going to do anything to make it better. And so I don't. I, I think that on an unconscious level, I think we don't appreciate that a lot of times what we're really communicating is that we have no real desire to seek change. That if change calls for personal sacrifice, then I'm not willing to make a sacrifice to bring about change. So in that context, of course, things only get worse from your perspective because you're not going to do the things to try to change that situation. Uh, one thing that's very, very clear on something in terms of voting, you know, um, you know, voting is fine. Uh, from a from a strategic point of view, voting is fine. But when I, what I try to convey is that voting is not a panacea. In the case of in the case of the woman, uh, in the case of the woman who won the lieutenant governorship in Virginia, uh, white voters vastly outnumber African voters, and so even if every African voted against that particular woman. Uh, she still would have prevailed simply because in terms of numerically, whites out, and, and Virginia is a very conservative state. And so let's be very, very clear on that point. All right, so in that context, you know, if we say that uh, uh, things, things could only get worse, yeah, things can only get worse if, in fact, we believe that the only, the only way to resolve these issues that we face is through the voting mechanism. Uh, if we re- fundamentally reject this notion that, in fact, the only way we can empower ourselves is through the voting apparatus, then we can begin to create those kind of institutions, those kind of organizations in the community that truly empowers. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of understanding. And the problem is that if, as long as we have this position that things are going to get worse, then one thing is very, very clear. Uh, the kind of work, the kind of sacrifice that's needed to bring about real change is simply not going to come about. And this is the fundamental problem we have. Also, when you talk about lesser two evils, brother, after <laughs> lesser two evils, you know, again, you know, when we talk about the lesser two evils and we talk about in context of voting, one of the things, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear um, uh, Buttigieg uh, talk about the fact that, um, about the fact that he's talking about the, um, the electoral college is fundamentally unfair, and it is. The electoral college wasn't designed for democracy. The electoral college was designed to ensure that the people in positions of power, those who were connected. Would when would, would, the presidency in the United States. In that context, when we talk about the Electoral College, it's not about the popular vote. It's not about people votes actually being counted. It's about the electors. It's about the very people who, who are rep, people who represent power, people who are in a position to determine what the vote actually means, who determine who becomes president of the United States. And so we got a situation, we got a, a state where, where you got 2 million people and you got another state with 14 million people, but the one with 2 million states has the same power as one with 14 million. It means that the that, me, that means it means 13 it means 12 million votes in a, in a larger state are being discounted. So where's democracy in that? And so clearly, so when we talk about the lesser two evils, that's very very clear. Uh, it's all evil. There is no less. There's no fundamental difference between Democrat and Republican. If Republicans have to abide by the same policies uh, that 
that Democrats, if Democrats are abide by the same policy that Republicans have to abide by in terms of raising funds, then there is no fundamental difference. If I'm a Democrat, in order for me to run for this office, I need X million of dollars to achieve that. Who do you think I'm going to? I'm not going to the mass of the people. The mass of the people can't give me $2 million. But if I go to corporations and the wealthy, they can give me $2 million, provided I do what they tell me to do. So it really doesn't make a difference whether you're a Democrat or Republican. They both dance to the same tune. And so those Democrats who run for office, and you look at terms of the positions that they take, how many of them actually critique capitalism? How many actually say there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of from a systemic point of view, there's something fundamentally wrong with capitalism? How many Democrat Republicans, Democrats have you said that? Have you heard say that? Not a damn one. Bernie Sanders comes close by saying that there's a problem in terms of you know, in terms of uh, the, min- the minimum wage should be elevated to, to fifteen dollars an hour. That's the closest you get to critiquing capitalism. How many of them are going to fundamentally say that there's something wrong with capitalism? How many are going to fundamentally say the capitalism is fundamentally structured to make sure people don't have jobs? How many are going to say capitalism is fundamentally designed to make sure people have places to live? How many are going to say fundamentally it's fundamentally designed to ensure that people are not educated? Who's going to be honest enough to make such a critique? Who? Who among the Democrats are honest enough to say that? Not a damn one. So when you talk about the lesser of two evils, what are you talking about? Lesser what? What are you talking about? They both dance to the same tune. We expect insensitivity and difference from Republicans. They don't give a damn. They're to your front. You ain't got no money. You're not a capitalist or you don't have deep pockets. We don't give a damn about you. And our policies reflect that. They tell you up front. I respect that. What I don't respect is the damn Democrats saying, vote for me and I'll set you free, knowing damn well that in order for them, in order for them to run for office in the first place, they have to rely on deep pockets. They have to rely on wealthy for funding, which means that they're beholden to the wealthy. If they dare step out of the line and critique capitalism, they know damn well there'll be no money coming to them. And so, therefore, who do they really represent? Do they represent the interests of the masses of people or do they represent the interests of the fucking corporations and the wealthy? Let's be clear about this. This lesson of two evil nonsense, it's got to stop. Seriously, it's got to stop. It's no lesser two evil. They're the same damn party. Malcolm X is clear on that point. They're the same damn party. You know, uh, anyway, uh, anyway, anyway, let me let me calm down here, Brother Africa. You know, uh, you know, um, you know. So, 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 yes, so, 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 so Brother Africa, I think Brother Haki, you got to calm down. Cause remember, one of the errors we have made is that we didn't listen to what our mother said, nor did we read the books that our father read. Continue, my brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but 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 but, but you know what? But, but really annoys me to no end, Brother Africa, when I look at the useless suffering and I look at the hopelessness and I look at the, the, the abhorrent conditions that people find themselves in, not because they're lazy, not because they're inept, not because they're not motivated, because you've got a system in place designed to create, you know, to create these conditions to ensure that people become unmotivated, to ensure people become hopeless, to ensure people don't, people don't initiate drive in terms of you know, fighting for what you believe in. These are also systemic constructs. These are systems in place to ensure, from a psychological point of view, to impact people in such a way that we do very destructive, very maladaptive, very inappropriate kinds of things in terms of not only how we think, but how we behave. Of course, we don't have that discussion. We, don't, we never have those, those, those discussions. And I, I, I think, oh, Brother Africa, you know, um, you know, the bottom line is this, and I'll conclude with this because, you know, I don't say it enough. But the, but, the, but the bottom line is, Brother Africa, you know, um, you know we, we as, you know, we as an oppressed community, 
whether we believe we are oppressed or not. The bottom line is that we have to fundamentally understand that whether you're talking about socially, politically, or economically, when you look at those indicators and you look at the conditions of, of African people, usually you've got to conclude that something fundamentally wrong or something inept or something quite something lacking in terms of the African persona, or you've got to conclude there's something, in, something going on in terms of driving these results. I think to the extent that you understand the system in terms of how it impacts people, then the more you're empowered to understand, because the system operates this way, if you don't create conditions in your community to protect your children's emotional stability, to protect their intellect, what's going to happen? Those children are going to reflect the condition in which they receive from the system. It's a very simple, it's a very simple, it's very simple. It's very, very simple. And so we shouldn't have a problem in terms of struggling with people in terms of trying to do those things to empower our children. We should automatically, tomorrow, we should be just people saying, listen, you know, their friends and their neighbors, and their, listen, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to create. This is what we're going to do. No if and buts about it. It's going to be done because we're going to protect the interests of our children emotionally and, 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 and intellectually. We're going to do that. We must create the condition. We know that the system is diametrically opposed to their, to, to their, to, to their, to their success. We know that. So we must create a condition to protect the emotional, intellectual stability of our children. If we don't do that and we wait for others to do that for us, then that's something fundamentally, that's something fundamentally wrong with that position. That's something fundamentally wrong with that position. In that regard, when we look at the political process, I think we have to understand that these people in the power, part and parcel, most of them are doing it because it's, it's self-serving. There's money to be made in terms of the political process. If you play ball, there's money to be made. There's connections to be made. You're not going to make connections or make money by antagonizing people in positions of power. But yet, we expect those same people in power to reflect our interests. Why would they reflect our interests? So why are we going to spend a lot of time in terms of worrying about whether or not they're elected or not? When the focus has to be community organizations, institutions, and organizations geared toward the empowerment of our people, us working collectively together in conjunction with those who have deep pockets in terms of doing, doing funding kind of activities which are going to lead to the liberation of our people. That's not abstract. Right? That's not abstract, Brother Africa. That's, that's, very, that's, 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 that's something very, very concrete that we could do if we understand the necessity. But first and foremost, we must overcome this conditioning, you know, that as long as, this, this, as long as the lesser two evils exist, that we're safe voting for Democrats as though somehow Democratic, Democratic politicians are not beholden to the same corrupt process Republican uh, uh, candidates are beholden to. With that, Brother Africa, I'll close. I've been long-winded. I apologize. I'll close. As long as you, you you agree that in the future you will listen to what your mother say and read the books that your father read, we're going to be all right. We forgive you, brother. You in the seat that you took the heat. Job well done. <laughs> this is Africa on the move, Brother Africa. What we're going to do, we're going to take a session break, continue to travel down the road of liberation. We want to remind you, all of you, the play on Africa African people means for you not to be a Buffalo soldier. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon.
And he was taken from 
Bell at the African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. And if you don't have those capacity to make the donation in that form, please just email us and we can tell you other ways of how you can support the radio station. Email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. So that's our important announcement. We need your support, not only financially, but also politically. We want you to spread the word that um, Africa on the Moon comes on Sundays and people can engage and listen to this program. We're going to be in the seat and we're going to take the heat, but we're often, too, going to give you the old things that you need. It may not be necessarily what you want. So, brothers and sisters, and those who, listen, who are listening to this voice today, this program today, come and support us, help us, and... Um, and shout out go to all our brothers and sisters, whether they in Cuba, Venezuela, Bolivia, whether they in Guinea, Ghana, whether they in Zimbabwe, whether they in in um Europe, or whether they in in China, you name the countries where all freedom loving people exist, you are our people. Mother Africa needs you, come, come, come and make your contribution to make a better humanity for all mankind. So on that note, we're going back to our political panelists and analysts, and they have been uh, throwing some heat tonight. As the brothers and sisters of Cuba often called us the radio rebels, but we are nothing but freedom fighters. We're just a little, little nobody trying to be somebody. So on that note, we come back to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, two minutes or less, we'd like to have your final thoughts on today's program. The mighty shows, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. We're finding ourselves faced with a, a, a imperialist state, uh, capitalist state government of the U.S. of A., and we we need to have a revolution. This is a situation we're faced with, but we need to not rely just on our empirical or personal experiences. But we have to study, 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 and study revolutionaries and and successful revolutionaries in order to know what needs to be done. Um, We cannot be into dogmatic idealism. We have to do a concrete analysis of concrete condition and know what we can change and what we can't change and, and, and use our resources wisely. Um, So, you know, this has been an interesting show and I, I hope that we, Siri is a guide to action. It's not, it's not, the be all end all, but it's a guide to action. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses, two minutes or less to my sister Eleanor. You'll find the statements for tonight, Sister Eleanor. Um, thank you so much for having me on the show. But remember, we are moving forward. And uh, no, uh, uh, we should not forget that the issue is literacy. And when we talk about literacy, we're talking about reading, the literacy, computer literacy. And in order to have uh, political literacy, people have to read and write. Haiki mentioned the great literacy rate in the United States. Earlier in the show, I mentioned that the minimum wage in South Korea was $8 an hour. The minimum wage in the United States has not reached $8 an hour. So uh, the working class in the United States are suffering. 
They are unable to afford the basic necessities of life, transportation, health care, a clean, safe environment. And we see capitalism out of control in this United States. Sitco, uh, which, as you know, is not owned by the United States, but Venezuela has 4,900 gas stations and three oil refineries in this country is about to be sold off to private interest. And the brick is growing because of the lack of accountability by the United States, uh, the theft of other nation states' resources. The Afghans are starving right now because we've frozen their assets. We saw this happen in the 90s with the war against Iraq. Now we've seen seeing it happen with Venezuela. And I want to remind the public that on June 25th at 1 p.m., everyone is invited to Lafayette Square to stand up for Cuba and ask that the United States and President Biden take Cuba off the state terrorist list and to lift the embargo. That will be Saturday, June 25th, and on June 24th at the Westminster Church at 4th and N Street Southwest. There will be a program discussing Cuba and the availability for educational opportunities in Cuba. I am speaking to you this evening from the District of Columbia, the capital of the United States, which is a medical desert. We are working our healthcare workers to the bone at minimum wage, not minimum wage at $7, but far below the international standard. You're a city of nearly 1 million people with only four hospital systems. So. You need to stand up, make sure you come out to the Westminster Church on the 24th. That's a Friday evening, 7 to 9 p.m., 4th and N Street Southwest. And again, I'd like to thank you for allowing me to participate in this evening's show. And uh, it's one thing. We have to, and I hope in the near future, be able to glean information on literacy programs, where they're offered and when they're offered to promote uh, literacy um, for our listeners to be able to share with folks in their community how to organize reading circles, how to promote literacy in their community community and where programs are being offered in the area of computer literacy, reading literacy, mathematics literacy, health literacy, and also um, 30 seconds starting, uh, 30 seconds July, starting July uh, 2023, um, the District of Columbia is attempting to do something extremely progressive, and that is to allow persons to ride the bus, buses, the bus system without cost. Congratulations.
to the uh, city council for making that possible. And uh, we stand in complete opposition of the militarization of the police in the United States. And that cop city in Atlanta has already, um, people, demonstrators have been murdered. And most recently, the people that are raising money to get the protesters out of jail, their, their offices and homes have been raided. This is neo-fascism. We must stand against it, and we have an obligation to educate our listeners to what's going on. Thank you, and good night. Thank you. Brother Hockey, your final thoughts for the night. Yeah, just want, real, real quickly, I just want to throw out uh, 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 my uh, condolences to a couple of families. First, Mohammed Kamimi. He was a two-and-a-half-year-old uh, toddler that was shot in the head by the Israeli Defense Force. Uh, and also uh, Cyrus Carmack Belton, a 14-year-old, was shot in the back by a store owner. Uh, those are tragic events, but nonetheless, you know, uh, you know, uh, we, we live in a world, live in a society which can actually condones this kind of killings. Until the people rise up and say enough is enough, uh, the reality is that this stuff is going to persist. Uh, but one thing I just want to create, uh, draw upon real quickly is the question in terms of deception. Uh, capitalism is very, very deceptive. The honesty, uh, dishonesty, you know, is 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 is, is moniker. I mean, it's it's, that's, it's it's known for its dishonesty. Uh, one of the things when Sister Eleanor talked about the uh, rents being tied to the CPI index is very interesting, because depending on which CPI index is going to determine what percentage uh, uh, times uh, uh, times times uh, uh, rent increases will take place. Uh, now, if you're going to use, say, CPI core in, um, as the index to determine your rent increases, then certainly if you use a, a CPI index that says that uh, food and energy is included in the course, the CPI core CPI is going to be much higher than the regular CPI, which does not include food and, does not include food and energy uh, cost. Uh, so, therefore, if they use the CPI core uh, index, then that means that you're going to pay considerably more in terms of housing simply because the core CPI core index is much higher than CPI index. So clearly that's a little bit of deception, and that's something that no politician is going to tell you if you don't take your time to research the stuff and find out for yourself. You would never know. And none of this stuff is impossible to learn. I mean, if you really wanted to learn this stuff, it's not impossible. I'm not one to advocate stuff that's simply too difficult people to, 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 uh, to, uh, to understand. I don't subscribe to that, to that nonsense. Uh, I think it's a question of motivation. If people really want to learn something, it doesn't matter what it is. If they really want to learn, they can learn it. I mean, that's my position. Maybe maybe I'm just being a bit uh, a bit foolish. But anyway, that's my view. Uh, but having said that, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix. Uh, clearly, you know, the stuff that's going on in society um, makes one scratch their head. I mean, clearly, you know, the, the absurdity and sanity. Uh, the, the main policies that are perpetuated, you know, by a so-called politician to the detriment of the mass of the people in society uh, is, 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 is bewildering. The only thing you can really do is scratch your head in amazement in terms of, you know, these things actually existing. So it's incumbent upon people to realize, you know, that none of this stuff is going to change unless, you know, we fight to bring for the change, seek the change that we need. The reality is none of this insanity is going to go anywhere. It's only going to proliferate. And that's a sad reality. Having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. 
what you're saying, Brother Hackey. Before I make my final thoughts, I can come back to one of our panelists, um, Brother Maurice, and I can give him the opportunity to maybe say a few more words. Brother Maurice, um, I know that you have a history of working with the youth and talk about this question, how things are being played on African-African people. I would like to maybe give you a few minutes if you want to talk a little bit about um, to the youth and maybe the work that you're doing in, in, in that community. Yeah. How, uh, how can the people support you? Yes, yes, man. Like I said, um, er, basically earlier, you know, I, I slang, you know, but I, I'm still working as an educator um, with, with, with elementary students. I'm working with uh, African and Latino children, boys and girls, um, on a daily basis, um, trying to educate them. And I just want to make a quick point um, in regard to teaching them history. We only allow, um, to, in rich public schools, we only allow to 15 minutes to teach them about history for two weeks, and then we go to two weeks of social studies for 15 minutes a day at the end of the day, and then you go back for science. That's how the curriculum is set up. As we already know, um, this is under a a, a, a governor. Um, uh, uh, oh man, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm I guess I'm getting tired, man. I'm an early bird. Uh, our governor, uh, you know, uh, his name exiting uh, my mind at the moment. But just just to be uh, courteous of time, um, as for helping helping our youth. The most critical thing right now is to get organized politically into a pan-African organization. Um, you can join organizations like like the All African uh, People's Revolutionary Party (DC). You can join the Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party. You can you can join Slang Struggling Living and Never Giving Up, where we're bringing a pan-African um, curriculum, pan-African scientific socialist curriculum to children. Um, trying to develop a young pioneer movement. And last but not least, I will conclude by saying, in regards to your previous question before we went to break about uh, having an African uh, 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 president um, running the United States of America, I would just say this real quick. We have Dr. Cornell West, right? He is running for office, and I would say again, the fight is fixed. I'm not saying, I'm not going to go to the sense to say that he's selling out to either, you know, because he's not running on those tickets as a Democratic Party or or, or a Rep- uh, Republican Party, but you cannot run under this system. That's like that's no that's no different than I'm going to uh, uh, get a black business. We need black businesses. That's the same thing because if you hear me out, if you're running against uh, in their, in their system, you're playing under their game, under their rules. You're going to run against it. He's not going to win a third party candidate. Is not going to win. Um, the presidency, and if you do win, what are you going to do? You got to, You still don't have control of the state. You still don't have control of the military. They can they can assassinate your ass, do what they will, by the capitalist system who owns the military. That's why class struggle is important. Political political education is important. Um, Kwame Nkrumah taught us that in the class struggle, you have to uh, uh, ideological train. Uh, guerrilla and uh, uh, guerrilla uh, class or our, our, our working class people in general, and before we can um, 
determine if we're going to have any political power. So I conclude by that. I hope I make my point clear. Thank you so much, Brother Africa, for having this platform, Africa on the Move. Thank you so much. It was I'm thankful to hear the voices of Brother Haki, Brother Moses, and Sister Eleanor tonight. And I, and I can't wait to hear Brother Anthony's voice back on the show. Thank you so much, man. Uh, thank you, Brother Maurice, for the work that you're doing and continue to do for Africa and African people and all humanity. I'll make a couple, again, quick remarks before we close out this program. Number one, again, our blessing and our get well soon um, desires goes out to Brother Anthony William. Brother, we miss you, love you, get well soon. Also, we'd like to remind people that we have never done it before, but we are in the mode now. You know, we are no more stronger than the community and the people support. We need your support. Uh, like all things, things changes. We are now reaching out to our people, to our supporters, to our listenership. If you hear this program, we need your support. And you can do this by making a contribution to Cash App with a, with a dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Or you can just veil it to African Awareness Association 2 at Gmail. And if those mechanisms or making your contribution is not accessible to you, please email us at africaonthemove2 at gmail.com and we'll tell you other methods of how you can support us. But we do need your support and we are no more stronger than the participation and the help of the people. We need your help. Support us. Also, we want to remind you to help us build the station. We'll be on every Sunday evening from 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., speaking truth to the powerless and the powerful. If you have any issues or views or any perspectives that you would like to share with our people, your movement, please feel free to email us, and we'd like to have you on as a special guest. So, also, we are in this post-African Liberation Day uh, phase, and we'd like to remind you, if you have not participated or have not uh, seen or listened to some of the excellent programs that was created by the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC, please do so by going to their website at www.a-aprp.gc.org. Not only check out their program, but check out their website. You might find a solution to your problem. So those are a few things we want to just remind our listenership and listening audience about. And we would like to remind you that join us next week. There will be a part two to the play on Africa and African people. As your host, Brother Africa, let's always strive to go forward with backwards novel. And until then, we're going to give you some sounds of sweet liberation. This has been Africa. On the moon.
living in pain Today is the same And nothing ever changes Hung by the news Can't tell the truth Filled with abuse And everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong To last through my journey Yeah, to last through my journey When we must decide to get off the ride And stop going through these changes We must prepare and learn how to care But soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. In a world like today, it's a rare occasion to be able to see young mothers like the ones that were around when I grew up. But they live on in memory to quite a few of us. And this song is dedicated to those who cherish that memory. Early one Sunday morning, breakfast was on. The table. There was no time to eat. She said to me, Boy, hurry to Sunday school. Filled with a lot of glory. We learned the whole story. She'll always have her dream. Despite the things this troubled world can bring Oh, say, don't you know we love you, sweet Sadie Place no one above you, sweet Sadie Well, well, well Living in the past Sometimes it seems so funny No money will turn your life around Cotton candy, stronger than Papa's old brandy. Always that needed smile. Once in a while, she would break down and cry. Sometimes she'd be so happy, being with us and Daddy. Standing the worst of times Breaking the binds With just a simple song
lawmakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is... No. 
thoughts of the past have faded. The only thing left is the memories of our belated. And I hate it when someone dies to get all hurt up for a silly gold chain. Fuck, chump, word up. It doesn't make you a big man. And to one ain't going, this your brother, man. And you don't know that's part of the plan. Why? Because rap music is in full demand. Understand? My name is Jeff Ice, a man, not a prankster. I was known as the gangster. But believe me, that is no fun. The time is now to unite everyone. You don't have to be soft to be for peace. Robbing and killing and murdering is the least. You don't have to be chained by the beast. But party people, it's time I release. Hey, yo, here's the situation. Idiotic, nonsense, violence. Not a good policy, therefore, we must ignore fight and fuss it. Heaven's at the door, so there'll be no bum rushing. Let's get together before we're falling apart. I heard a brother shot another, it broke my heart. I don't understand the difficulty, people. Love your brother, treat him as an equal. They call us animals, Mm-mm, I don't agree with them. I'll prove them wrong, but right is what you're proving them. Take key before I leave for what I'm saying, or we'll all be on our knees. Praying. Heavy deep, deep in the heart of the matter. The self-destruction is served on a platter. Making a day, not failing to anticipate. They got greedy, so they fell for the bait. That makes them a victim. Picked and plucked new jack and jails, but this is the best they ever done. There's no one to cause in jail, you're a number. They never took the time to wonder about Yes, we urge to merge religion for the love of our people to hope they get along. Getting a point to our brothers and sisters who don't know the time. So we run around. Set in your head, you know our job to build and collect ourselves with intellect. To revolve, to evolve the self-respect. Cause we got to keep ourselves in check or else it's... If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer. To give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, cause Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine 
needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our
Yo llamo a mi lengua buquenque y él me responde a buquenque. Viene que viene mi lengua con su tambor en su guata. Real name Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yes. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Glenn Beck is a racist. Got the strip was getting bomb. Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself, 
from the right wing propaganda campaign It's all simple and plain America can stand the game Your president got an African name Now who you gon' blame When they drop the bombs out of them planes Using depleted uranium Babies looking like two-headed aliens Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal Ain't nothing subliminal to it That's how they do it See the game they run Give a fuck who's cunning Articulate and handsome Afghanistan held for ransom By the hand of this black man Neo-colonial puppet White power with a black face He said fuck it I'll do it A master of the skies Expert at telling lies Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize Should've known he was trained in Chicago Where the chairman Fred and Mark Clark What they do in the dark Will come out in the light Like a WikiLeaks site So I guess the crew was right Who's ready to fight Last stage of imperialism I ain't kidding In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye This ain't living Sasha and Malia are huge fans, but uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you, predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking?
Yeah, dude. 
Cause if you come from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You are an African So don't care where you come from you're a black man, you're an African No mind your complexion There is no rejection You're an African Cause if your flexion high, high, high If your flexion low And if your flexion in No mind your national 